Bible buds. We're doing it. We're doing it again. <laughs> this is a this is a special one because today on the cast we have my oldest brother, um, who is a actual scholar of <laughs> of religion. Um, so you know, pretty hilarious that y- if you've been listening along to this and l- hearing my dumb bullshit, uh, <laughs> to now have it be revealed that I have a brother who has a PhD in religious studies from Northwestern, as well as uh, you have a MDiv or an Masters M- of Theology, a- MA in Theology, yeah, MA in Theology, yeah, from Fuller Seminary. So excited to, uh, yeah, excited to kind of dive in and and actually get like a, a legit perspective and and probably ask you a bunch of uh a bunch of really dumb questions that you can probably answer very easily so that's good i mean you know the thing about having a phd is that like you know you you are an expert in one really narrow area and so you know people often think that like i know a lot about the bible but actually i don't know (laughs) that much about the (laughs) bible because i'm not a i'm not a biblical scholar so um but you know there there's some stuff that i know yeah well yeah obviously (laughs) just being adjacent to it tell can you just fill us in a little bit on what um maybe with both degrees or at least with the phd like kind of what your focus was in in broad terms that that people would understand whoa 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 are we not gonna check in on everybody's week no you're not gonna start this we'll get there this just (laughs) we're just doing i want to get a proper i'm just i'm just giving you i'm just giving you a hard time this is you know you're right you did it to me last week so i I did do that to you last week all right we'll get there we'll get there uh yeah so my i mean just kind of broadly speaking my area is um, theology and social theory, uh, specifically at the turn of the 20th century in Germany. So I studied German philosophy of religion, basically. Um, and uh, I mean, I guess the simplest way to put it is just that I'm interested in how religion changes over time in response to culture. Um, in particular, theological claims, like the authoritative claims that all religions tend to see as uh, universal and unchanging, mm-hmm. um, when in fact they actually do change over time. So my dissertation was about, specifically in Christianity, sort of how that happens, like kind of the philosophical logic kind of behind how Christian theology has changed over time. And but it always, itself to yeah, like cultural norms, exactly. But has always been able to sort of reassert its authority as universal and unchanging and like outside of history and stuff like that. So that's, yeah, that's basically where I am. And I also um, have, you know, published some things on um, theories of, of religion, like the site in the secular study of religion. So Sure. I mean, my, my work is in the secular study of religion. It's not really, um, even though I wrote about theology, uh, I wouldn't call my work theological necessarily. So, sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so normally, Joel, we kind of start this thing off like almost kind of Bible study-like in the sense of just like, how was your how was your week, everybody? Um, so if Love you it. want to uh, if you want to kick us off with that, and then uh, and then Dan and I will talk a little bit about our weeks. Sure. Um, so yeah, my week was my week was okay. Things are getting uh, things are 
getting a little heavy and hairy, you know what I mean? Sure. With this quarantine. Um, so I'm a professor at a community college in Virginia, and um, we've been remote teaching since mid-March. Right. Uh, so this is like my, I think, third week of trying to do live Zoom lectures with my students. And honestly, on uh, on Monday and Tuesday, I like I just canceled three of my sections straight up because I was just like, I honestly do not have the bandwidth to do like a full blown lecture. So I'm just like gonna scrap whatever I had planned initially <laughs> and. You know, and by bandwidth, you mean like because you're at home with your family and you have yeah, parental duties home, and things like that? Yeah, at home with family. Um, and uh, also, I don't have like any of my books. They're all in my office and I'm like right. not allowed to go on campus at all. Um, and they said that you could get on for like emergencies or stuff. So, but I just like, you know, so the, the book that we were actually like reading, um, this week and talking about uh i didn't have access to it so i was like you know and i'm I'm a new professor so um you know it was like a a unit of this course that i had not taught yet before so i was like planning i was just like this is your first year it's not like you've done this 20 times exactly so i was just like forget it i'm you know we're just gonna cancel class and then we're just gonna spend time talking about the next assignment which you know we did yesterday and today, and and then it, other than that, I've just been like mowing the lawn. Um, yeah. Like I bought a bunch of like electric like tools from Home Depot, like a chainsaw <laughs> and a hedge trimmer and shit Where, like that. Um, you're ten, and you're tending like, to your corner of the garden, so to speak. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. So I've just been like trimming trees, and I built I built my daughter uh, a playset over the last two weeks. Cool. And that's done yeah, now. Yeah, looks good. So, yeah, thanks, man. So, yeah, that's nice. that's what I've been up to. Cool, yeah, that's, that's cool that you get to at least spend some more time with your kids during this time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Cool. Yeah, what my about week you? Was, yeah. Uh, my week was, was okay. Um, let's see. I – yeah, dude, everything just – blurs together so much <laughs> no. now yeah. and like what day is i it? had okay i had a moment uh i think it would i think this was two days ago um or did i talk about this last week i can't even remember where i was just like i had a tuesday where i was like sitting there and i was like what day is it and i had to look at a <laughs> calendar to figure out not like what the date was but what day of the week was it on a tuesday and then I just had this moment where I was like, I couldn't, it, Tuesday's the second day of the week. I couldn't remember that it was the second day of, yeah. So I've been sort of feeling that. I had a, I had a really fun uh, panic attack on Saturday, which kind of dominated Ooh. my weekend, um, which I've, I've had plenty. So, um, you know, I, it, it wasn't super scary. It was very uncomfortable, but I knew what was happening. But it was funny. I was watching, um, I was watching the marvelous Mrs. Maisel with my with my girlfriend, and I was like getting freaked out by Midge Maisel's like facial expressions. Really, <laughs> like they were <laughs> genuinely terrifying to me. And I was That's like, crazy. "Why? Why am I scared by this?" And then I like checked my pulse, and I was like, "Oh, you're having a panic attack, dude!" And I was she's like, cool. so delightful. I don't know how you could be, yeah, dude. It's I know. 
She's a gem. I know. I love her. I love her. But um, yeah, so that was that was my Saturday, which was fun. Um, and then I've just been kind of trying to figure out this week in terms of like groceries and stuff. I've been getting a little more creative, finding these specialty markets that are allowing like online orders and then curbside pickup. And you got to do it like a couple days in advance. But that's been cool because I hate the grocery store right now. And oh yeah, have no awful. desire to be there. Yeah. Um, and even though I can afford to go to like the nicer grocery store, like the Portland equivalent of Whole Foods, um, yeah, I just like don't want to be, I don't want to be inside that store. So I just went and picked up, picked up a bounty of stuff uh, about an hour ago uh, right. that I'm pretty stoked on for, for the next you know five days or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and I was telling Joel, damn, before you hopped on, I've just been like watching, ri- like I couldn't sleep last night. I probably watched like. Uh, I don't know, three or four hours worth of lectures on the history of ancient Egypt. Just <laughs> just going deep, dude. Just going deep. And, like, it was very interesting. So I think that was maybe part of it. But then, yeah, I remember, like, 2.30 rolled around, and I was like, dude, why am I still up right now? Like, I should have been asleep so long ago. Um, so, yeah. yeah but dude, I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it like everyone else. It's This shit is just kind of getting weirder and weirder. And, uh, yeah. So... Yeah, I'd, you, also, I'd also think that if anything is going to induce panic attacks, it would definitely be ancient Egypt over Midge Maisel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It's like the panic attack was in the, I think, was in the context of nothing. I mean, yeah, I had a super sure. normal morning. You know, we, me and Savannah took a super nice walk around southeast Portland around Lads Edition, which is really pretty. And it was a really nice day. And then I was editing the podcast for like hours, which I do think that actually was probably what caused it because... I was having a real problem with uh, getting the audio to line up because we had paused recordings and I had dropped out at one point. Right. And, like, getting everything to line up perfectly was way harder than I thought it was going to be and took me, yeah, took me way longer. And I was, I got genuinely worked up at one point to the point where, like, I remember Savannah <laughs> being like, dude, you need to, like, just take a couple deep breaths. And I was like, I'm fine. really just catching myself be like yeah dude seriously relax um so that probably didn't help but yeah man well your efforts are appreciated to you know put the thing together yeah so um yeah man i've just been busy just doing this six day work week has not really left me with much time to you know get into this quarantine mode so much sure uh it's getting it's definitely getting more bizarre though going places like sometimes i'll have to make like a target run for for our bakery and it'll be 11 a.m and there's like no one in target and yeah it's just it's just kind of wild um but yeah I'm, i'm trying to uh you know just stay active and do some different things i did some some home baking last sunday made a bunch of muffins and that was super fun and they came out pretty good so now i'm kind of inspired to uh to do some more home baking and maybe make some special some special muffin deliveries i'll have to bring some by your house andrew a door a doorstep delivery of course how (laughs) how special are we talking Oh no, they're they're regular they're regular muffins. Oh, don't bother. I'll them. make I'll make you some <laughs> some special ones, some Bible okay. buds muffins. Staying uh, true to the brand of the podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, Joel, I know you've been uh, you've been barbecuing up a storm with a oh, with a crazy. new smoker over there, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. I like for the last almost ten years have lived in places where 
I haven't really been able to barbecue. Um, when I was getting my PhD, I lived in Chicago, and we didn't have a deck or balcony or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I, I like went huge and got this like dual grill, like one side charcoal, one side gas, huge barrel <laughs> barbecue. I think for those listening to this who know me, they will not be surprised by you saying that and the fact that you're my brother. Okay, that's... got it. Yeah, <laughs> my nickname <laughs> around here is Fancy Andy because I just don't hold back. I'm just like <laughs> if I want if I want a smoker, I'm getting like a legit smoker. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I mean it's I have like a it's a I guess considered a Texas style like side smoker. So it's like this cartridge that like is attached to the side of the charcoal oh, part, yeah. and you burn the wood or smoke the wood in there. And it, but the challenging thing is that, like, you know, with an electric smoker, you just put the pellets in, you set it to the temperature, and then you just keep feeding the pellets in, but the temperature stays constant. With this, like, I have to, like, check it every 15 minutes to make sure that it's, like, riding that constant, you know, right. 225 or, or whatever it is. And it's, it's really hard. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, That's yeah. rad. Just like an old train engineer putting that's what it is. It is like that. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter actually thinks that it is a train. I mean, it, it has like the smokestacks on top. And she's yeah. like, when I first got it, she's like, is that a train? I'm like, uh, no, but you can pretend it's a train. Yeah. Sure. Oh, it's this, a delicious meat yeah. train. Yeah. Meat yeah. This train, train makes <laughs> delicious ribs. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The baking thing is kind of fun because it's like so much different than the cooking of where you can kind of just like drift off from the baking and let it do its thing for a while. You don't have to like be so attentive right. to it during the whole process. So yeah, it's, yeah, that makes uh, sense. it's nice in that way. Um, yeah. Aside from that, just doing the thing, you know, trying to, uh, our, our conversation with my cousin last week inspired he and I to pick up our, uh, our, I dig records podcast that we started long before I had any podcasts. So oh, we've, wow. been, we've been fucking around with that a little bit. So that's been cool. That's cool. Um, yeah. I saw I, that you, you did, you picked young Jesus, that young Jesus album. Yeah, dude. Joel, have you ever heard of that band? No, you should very much check them out. The band okay. is called young Jesus. They probably only have like two. There's, um, there's three or four full lengths, but okay. Yeah. yeah. They're, uh, they're all super good. I, th it's right up your alley. It's like a mix between, I would call it like post emo rock. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like Mars Volta meets brand new. So in some, okay. Place. It's okay. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Uh, that they're also awesome. like two of the guys are original from originally from Chicago. Okay. Uh, they're based out of LA now. And Andrew and I saw them at, this last year's Pickathon Music Festival up here, and I think they're kind of the band that blew our minds the yeah, most. Yeah, we knew maybe. nothing about them going into it, and we saw them on this small stage, and we're just like, maybe like five minutes in, we kind of looked at each other like, this is <laughs> incredible, right? Yeah. This is everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, just been, nice. been messing around with that. Um, cool. I do want to give, before we get into the thing, not to, not to kick it off on a bummer, but... Uh, we're probably going to have my buddy uh, Zeke on the podcast in the near future. And, like, shit is just kind of getting real out there for all these people dealing with this virus. And I know he lost his uncle today oh, to uh, the COVID. Oh, and, wow. Uh, oh. So I just want to, you know, send my thoughts uh, yeah, absolutely. out to him. He's such a good dude. And, uh, yeah, it's just what a fucking weird time to pass, too, where you don't get to, like, really be around 
the people. Yeah, you can't have like yeah. a funeral, a proper one at least, or, like, or even just like leading up to it in the hospital and whatnot. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah or you like don't really alone. get this opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So just super intense. So yeah. yeah. Like I said, not to Word. kick it off on a bummer, but my thoughts have definitely been uh, with For that sure. today. Um, and uh, yeah, man, should we get into this thing? Let's get into it. Um, so obviously, Joel, you and I grew up in the same house, so we have some adjacent experience in terms of our upbringing in Christianity. And you can, like I said, you can sort of get into, you can talk about whatever you want, as much or as little. Um, but sort of curious what your take is on, um, yeah, I guess like w- how your relationship to Christianity changed over time throughout your upbringing and your adult years and like, you know, where you sort of land with it now. Yeah. Also, before you kick in, can you just for some context, what is the age gap between you and Andrew? Eight years. Okay. So yeah. So y- he's the youngest. You're... I'm the oldest. Okay. Yeah. So there's a pretty decent gap there. Pretty decent gap. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, I think what you know. I mean, this is something that I've actually thought about a, a bit more um, recently. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends who are academics who, um, you know, who grew up in the world of evangelicalism and they are like pissed off. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they're done. They fucking hate Christianity. Um, they're like, I, yeah, it's just a lot of like frustration and I, and I get it. Um, sure. There is a flavor of evangelicalism that's particularly hateable. Yeah, I mean, you know, a decent, they're all from places that are, like, hotbeds of, like, the very, concern, like, either Arkansas or, right. you know, rural Michigan. I have a friend from Michigan who is kind of in this vein. Um, or I have another friend from Bakersfield. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like, all these places where the the worst kind of conservative Christianity is, like, rampant. And so the reason I bring that up is because I think I've, like, sort of realized over the last few years that for me, I don't necessarily feel um, that kind of disdain for Christianity itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely do not have the same relationship to Christianity as most people that I know, just because I have a PhD, <laughs> you know? And when you yeah. spend that much time studying something, um, you just, you kind of develop a, uh, I would say a more idiosyncratic way of thinking about it, especially when, um, you know, my goal never really was to like become a theologian who's like going to get into like apologetics or something, sure. you know, and like proving that Christianity is, is right. Or so I kind of like thought that that was dumb pretty early on <laughs> into, into my studies. I mean, so like when growing up, like when I was in high school and stuff, I did read a lot of like apologetic type books about like evolution being wrong sure. and Same. shit like that. And, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, for, to kind of get to the point, like for me, um, I feel like we grew up in a house where we didn't have parents who were, um, who were super fearful, uh, about our, I don't know. I just like they they weren't they weren't as strict or they weren't as like uh, militant or angry or something as like some of my other friends who grew up in this. Like they seem more flexible. 
I would say for me, like my uh, brush with conservatism and even like extreme evangelicalism came from from stuff related to the church that like mom and dad had right, nothing exactly. to do with. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So, so I think because of that, like that really uh, opened the door for me to be able to like step away from what, you know, I was kind of immer immersed in the evangelical culture we were immersed in growing up but without being like so angry about it you know sure. like i mean there's sure. some anger there for sure there um you know especially with the fucking asshat in the oval office right now you know there's a lot of frustration and anger over that shit um, right with the community but, that supports him still. right and, and just kind of the frustration of people like just not seeing that like it's just it's black and white the man is evil like it's there's no right there's no like justifying support of him like it's, no no apologetics you know. for old don right exactly so um so yeah so i i think that i kind of like that enabled me to go down this road where I felt very comfortable asking hard questions um, and even getting answers that were potentially, I guess, detrimental to like a traditional faith, but like not really being that bothered by that. Um, and I actually think that's how I, I eventually found my way to the period of, you know, philosophy of religion and theology that I study, which is, you know, in technical speak is late liberal theology and liberal theology for those who don't know is um is the branch of christianity protestant christianity that was like uh very interested in like recovering the historical jesus right and trying to connect the study of christianity to the sciences basically to try to make the study of christianity more academic than it was in previous centuries mm -hmm. where it was like all in the service of the church um sure. and so uh yeah, so I kind of like came to this place where I didn't, I, I don't really see a conflict between science and religion. Um, I feel like I, I can be equally critical of conservative religiosity as well as militant atheism, right? I, I feel like I'm, um, I've come to this place where I'm sort of, I guess, comfortable with uh certain uses of christianity if that makes sense sure so but for all i guess uh intents and purposes you would still you know for lack of a better term to call yourself a christian if if it came down to it yes i yeah i think i would um but what that means is pretty complicated <laughs> for me sure. like sure uh, like I always kind of, I mean, maybe I shouldn't do this, but, you know, uh, occasionally I'll have a student who, you know, when I mention, you know, what my area of expertise is or whatever at the beginning of class, uh, at the beginning of a semester, they kind of like perk up when they hear that I like have a master's degree in theology. Cause like maybe they know what seminary is or I don't know, yeah. but they, then they want to like kind of ask me after class, like oh, hey, are you a Christian? And I think to myself, oh, fuck, I, I really don't want to get into right, this with you. Right, because what they're asking, really, if are they're you on my side? Old, yeah. Yeah, are you know. in the club? Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. And it's like, 
I, I'm sympathetic to where you are because I was there at one point, but at the same time, um, like that's not, that's just not what this class is about at all. <laughs> like it's the academic study of religion. I'm not, you know, we're just trying to understand religion in the world. You're not um, trying to spit some message on them. No, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I would say I would say I, I definitely still identify as a Christian. Yeah. What do you what do you feel like for you were some of the things, the questions or um, I don't know, just ideas that maybe you encountered um, that sort of started to like steer your ship in a slightly different direction away from kind of traditional and I wouldn't even say conservative, but just sort of like the traditional faith of Christianity uh, as opposed to sort of where you are now, where there's much more room for kind of like doubt and I guess, you know, mystery or, or unknowing of things right. and, and accepting that there's so much about God that's unknowable. Like what what were the things that sort of pushed you in that direction? I mean, I think the main the main thing was that I started you know, my, my undergrad degree was in English. And so I started reading more and more European philosophy that, um, you know, was being taught in like literary theory courses. Sure. Um, and I kept, in, you know, I, I started encountering more and more, you know, concepts of the quote unquote postmodern, right? So the, I mean, kind of apt that we're talking about you know the the easter story in john because that has the famous uh you know Pilate's famous jest it's called right where he asks jesus what is truth right yeah um which yeah, is yeah. which is sort of like this thing that's just kind of thrown in there like what the what why what does that mean right <laughs> yeah for um, sure and a lot of like traditional christians will say oh well see he believes in like the relativity of truth he doesn't believe in absolute truth because he's an opportunistic politician. Like that's kind of the traditional conservative way of, of reading it. But honestly, for me, like, I think that that's the only way to understand Christianity is in this kind of, not an absolutely relative sense, um, but in a sense that is, yeah, that is more open to unknowing. And so I think that was the first step for me was kind of discovering that, oh, actually, there really aren't knowable absolutes in the way that conservative Christianity teaches. Right. Um, and that that's okay. That like, I don't need those actually in order sure. to continue to be a Christian. And that's something that those philosophers talk about, not even in terms of religion, but just in terms of like the right. entire world. Exactly. And existence. They yeah. actually don't yeah. write that much about religion <laughs> at right. all. Um, right. And they actually use religion as a metaphor in a lot of ways, as, you know, the, and God as the idea of God as a metaphor for like this horizon of human knowledge, right? Where sure, yeah. the idea of God is behind this horizon um, and we are continually like pushing the horizon forward, right? And that's the change that happens in our conceptions of truth. Yeah. Right? I feel like that's also like that's where your faith is supposed to come into play with all totally. of the unknowns, you yeah. know, and like that's what you're supposed to grasp onto there and and realize that yeah we we don't really know what happens when we die and things like that and it's okay, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Huh. Interesting. Are there? Do you still? Uh. You still attend church services? Yep. Yeah. Are there things that um, 
you know, like I will occasionally, you know, having been in the church for so long and knowing so many people who are now like pastors of their own churches that mm-hmm. I grew up with or mm-hmm. that was my youth pastor or whatever, you know, occasionally I'll dip in and like I'll watch a I'll watch one of their services or I'll watch like a flat iron sermon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious for you, like being so studied on the topic and sort of having this, um, I guess, conception of your of your own faith and relationship to Christianity that probably a lot of people would like a traditional Christian would probably be like, you're not a Christian. Oh yeah. Like, Oh yeah. So is there in like, are there things that happen in those services or sermons that you just kind of like have to let roll off your back or like, how do you approach that? Cause for me, I feel like I'm in a similar place as you with the exception of like, I don't, I don't have a label for myself, but you know, I'm still interested in the Bible. I'm still interested in Christianity and the deeper truths, but um yeah sometimes like watching those sermons i'm just like what the how could you possibly be interpreting this version that way yeah yeah i mean so we when we lived in chicago we actually attended a probably the most conservative theologically conservative church that i've ever attended like even more even more conservative than um the church that we grew up in 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 california Mm -hmm. sierra madre congregational um and there yeah there definitely were times where uh the pastor would say something that was like pretty clearly like anti-semitic um like there's a lot of like supersessionism that goes on in these churches supersessionism just to explain (laughs) the big words If I throw out a big word, by Please the way, do. don't Please explain do. it. <laughs> yeah, we're a bunch of to explain it because I'm sometimes a fucking moron. So, no, uh... so supersessionism <laughs> is the idea that, that Christianity supersedes Judaism, right? That the New Testament, right? The New Covenant replaces the Old. And so Judaism is like obsolete yeah, or it's something, a moot, right? Whatever. So yeah. that's, you know, that contains within it a lot of anti-Semitic um, and grows out of a lot of anti-Semitic um, seeds. And so when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, God damn, like, why are you, and then others, you know, there's other stuff too, like, I tried not to, um, like, I, I actually genuinely liked the pastor uh, at, at the church that we attended in Chicago, he was a really good guy, he understood um, social issues, especially around race, pretty well, mm-hmm. um, which is unusual for conservative Christians, but, you know, being in Chicago, you can't, you kind of can't not, but anyway, right. um, uh, yeah, so I, I tried not to, like, be that guy, right, who was like, um, pastor, I have a correction for your last sermon, you know, <laughs> like, I yeah, I just, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be that guy, um, sure. but there were a couple times where, um, yeah, there was one time where they, they showed this video of, like, a spoken word thing, um, that was, like, comparing faith, faith to, like, a war and, like, had a lot of gun violence imagery, and I was like, yo, we, like, the neighborhood that we lived in was the most violent neighborhood in Chicago on the north side of right. Chicago. There was and quite so, a bit of gun violence, like, yeah, in like, your immediate neighborhood. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I just had to talk to him afterwards and be like, dude, did you, like, yeah, hearing what's happening death. here, like, this, that was bad. That was really, really bad. And he agreed that it was, that it was bad. And you know, there are a couple other times, like, you know, some of the things that they would say about, like, homosexuality, they really tried to avoid that topic altogether. Sure. Um, but occasionally, like, I heard someone say up front one time that, like, 
even having homosexual thoughts was sinful or something like that. And I was like, look, I mean, setting homosexuality aside, like, that's just theologically incorrect. Like, <laughs> sure, <laughs> ha yeah. having thoughts and not acting on them is, I mean, that's yeah. what temptation is. Right. Like, that's it's not sinful. Like, it's so, human nature like, to think about things, like, right, from exactly. time to time. Yeah, so, it's, you know, stuff like that. You know, that I, but, but yeah, may, the big things were like, yeah, the anti-Semitism, um, occasionally some casual racism would, would come into play. Um, you know, I mean, the thing that bothers me the most, I think nowadays, um, is kind of centered on race, like the way that white conservative Christians in particular talk about theology as if it's like this kind of neutral product, right? Um, that mm -hmm. like has no, I don't know, like, um, you know, no value commitments attached to it. It's just like neutrally available to everybody. And it's like, no, man, I mean, it was only white people that, that came up with this to begin with. Right. And so like and specifically white men. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, so yeah. that that kind of bugs me when um, there's no like recognition of like the I mean, and part of this also is my dissertation research sure. and like, you know, focusing on the contextual nature of theology. But yeah, so I'd say those are kind of the big things for me. Well, right I would now. imagine as a scholar, because Dan and I have talked a little bit about this, you know, I think um, like to make a, a comparison, like I feel like art can really only be best understood in the context of its, of the culture that it was born out of. Mm, because it's mm -hmm. a reflection of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And religion is sort of the same thing right, uh, right. so without understanding the historical context of in which it was born out of but also in the way that it evolved over time sure uh, through different cultures um you know it is it is interesting the sort of like and this is obviously like sort of a, a gross generalization and and so, like oversimplification but you know this religion that was born out of the part of the world where it's all brown people and <laughs> right. has been seized yeah. by mm -hmm. you know racist white people yeah um yeah like that level of sort of i guess just like blissful ignorance is i would imagine especially for someone who's like really studied it um just kind of like i don't know i don't I, it, it's unreconcilable and like i don't even know how you would approach it i mean it's just yeah it's uh it's really complicated because i mean um, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so many, uh, there's so many factors in, sure. in play there. Um, cause then at the same but, time, these people, I think like many of them maybe are having genuine religious experiences. They are having, you know, from time to time their own, um, you know, I guess way of like connecting to, to God in a real meaningful way. It's just that there's this other sort of element to it that that doesn't really mesh that well but there is some like um you know aside from like the people who are like clearly obviously like super like basically evil um like you know like a televangelist or something who's like selling a covid cure or something oh my god like that yeah. like that's that's just like straight up like yo you're just yeah. profiting off of right like, you people will go suffering. to the deepest layer of hell if that right. exists yeah. <laughs> you are the worst person on the planet right right um, right yeah, dude those people aside, like I'm talking about just sort of like your, your standard, you know, person, middle America in the South, wherever that's mm -hmm. like kind of conservative Christian, you know, there is this element of them that, 
that wants to do good, that believes that they are doing good. And then sort of they're stuck in their own culture and their own context that is deeply racist and problematic in its own way. And so it's hard to reconcile those things in terms of like the individual who believes a certain thing and and, uh, is striving towards good in the way that I think uh, the Bible calls people to strive towards God in terms of just being you know, trying to be the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're sort of on that path, but they're they're like missing some of the pieces and they're not, uh, yeah, they're, they don't have a holistic analysis of themselves maybe. Yeah, I think that that's right. I think that there's um, a sense in which, I mean, again, like there, I, I think that the issue is is a lack of, of contextuality, like for what they're doing. So, I think for a lot of white Christians, it's really, really easy to just say, oh, you know, being a follower of Jesus just means I go to church, I attend my small group Bible study, um, you know, I read the Bible to my kids, I pray, I try to be a good person, I like serve once a month at the food pantry or soup kitchen or whatever. Um, And there's no, like, all of that is directed inward toward them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and there's not a lot that even when they're engaged in something that is meant to be directed outward, um, it's still it's it's still not really <laughs> directed outward, right? At the right. people that they're serving, it's really about like you know meeting this um, checklist or whatever. Um, but for me too, like just to speak as an academic scholar of religion, um, I think what's most important, like when you're when we're observing these kinds of people is to kind of ask the question, um, what is their, what is their religious belief like doing right in the context of the larger, uh, culture, right? So you have, Mm -hmm. yes, you have this seeming conflict, right? Between maybe like racist thoughts or, I mean, you could go to the, to the most obvious thing, right? Voting for and supporting Donald Trump, right? Uh, There's so many think pieces like probably hundreds over the last four years about like how conservative Christians are hypocrites, right? Yeah, how to reconcile. But those rather two than yeah. right, so rather than see them as hypocrites, um, you know, we should believe them when they say, "No, I'm I am a devout Christian," right? And this is what my Christian faith leads me to. Like that's where right. we should be asking the question. Okay, so I need to understand your Christian faith better then because. <laughs> Uh, It's not really jiving with my understanding of it. And coming to that understanding, I think, helps us better understand how a particular block of the culture can do something that seems so, on its face, intentionally hypocritical. Sure. What is your, and this is obviously a pretty loaded question, but what is, do you have a hot take on on how, like for me, it feels very political like uh politics being tied into religion and basically the conservatives uh conservative christians that are conservative politically as well being like well what we care the most about is just like no abortions right you know no like all of these like kind of standard pillars of like which are yeah you know that's a whole other discussion but like just sort of again another like kind of oversimplification it's like well just kind of boil down to that of like yeah, they know that Donald Trump is like probably not a real Christian, but they're like, but I care about you know these like specific social issues right. that are that I want to be more on the conservative side. So they they just vote that way. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I so I do think it's a mix of both. I think that there are conservative Christians out there who really do try to defend Trump as some kind of Christian, right? Um, because they don't, I think they, there's, uh, I think deep down for many, there is a shame, right? They feel some kind sure. of shame that they support this monster. Um, and so that is, kind of drives them to this irrational defense of Trump as like some kind of Christian. It's like, are you kidding me? Like I, at no point in this man, I mean, this man has been a public figure since the 1980s. And like at right. no point in that career of, of being a public figure has he ever exhibited any sign that he cares Even, at yeah, all about remotely adjacent yeah, to Christianity. Like, not, yeah. not at all. Or the Republican Party. Itself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. So I think that there is it's kind of this weird mix where, yeah, there are a lot of conservatives who think of Trump as the pragmatic choice. You know, they want to pack the court. They want to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, sure. You know, there are certain, like, um, cultural hills that they want to conquer, and they see Trump as the best means for doing that. However, Mike Pence is right there. Like, Mike right. Pence is one of them. You know, yeah, sure. Trump is obviously sure. not one of them, but Pence is. He's an evangelical Christian. Yeah. Um, he did some wacky-ass crazy shit in Indiana. Like, oh, yeah. cr like requiring funerals for uh, like babies who like were born like stillborn or had to be like uh, aborted for, um, you know, serious medical reasons or something like that. Sure. He wrote a law to require funerals for that. That's he's batshit yeah. crazy. How could you require a funeral for anybody? I, don't, I, I think mean, it got overturned. Insane. But like, yeah, no, it's just fucking crazy. But um, that. Yeah. So. So at, at some point, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, is the is the argument that that Trump is a pragmatic choice? Is that really being made in good faith? Because, again, Mike Pence is right there. And there are so right. many other like evangelicals. So it just I don't know. I don't necessarily I don't know if I buy that necessarily. Sure. Yeah. He was okay. like a great choice for Trump. Oh, in, yeah. In it's that totally way. necessary. Like, I mean, totally, that, yeah. yeah. I mean, that that definitely completely Sealed solidified. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, Mike Pence is on that Kool-Aid level of Christianity, <laughs> yeah. dude. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So before we get into uh, before we get into this sort of, um, yeah, this Easter story, the resurrection story and the crucifixion story and whatnot, um, just sort of curious what like how would you how you would define for yourself what it means to be a follower of Jesus or a Christian or whatever, or like kind of what your own personal relationship with God sort of looks like um, for you? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think that it has to be first and foremost about building a better present. Like an, it has to be an imminent faith. I think that that's like the big, the big difference for me. Like, Christianity is not fire insurance, right? It's not like a get out of jail free card, you know. Um, I'm not, I'm not interested in um, Christians who like don't give a shit about the planet because they think God is gonna like come back and destroy, or Jesus is gonna come back and destroy it or anyway. It's, yeah, it would be like God's that. will, like you know. Yeah, what can no, we do if, like if the yeah, planet that's what God wanted. That, and, yeah, that should, that's fucking crazy i yeah so it's 
I feel like, um, you know, what it ha what it has to mean to follow Jesus, it can't just be about like reading your Bible regularly and you know believing really hard with your heart that like Jesus really did die and you know for your sins or something like that. Sure. Um, it has to have some kind of there has to be some sort of practical um, change in your orientation toward the world. I mean, when I went to seminary is actually when I became a socialist because sure. I realized that whatever my Christianity was before that, that like, you know, my sort of like unengaged politics were like, were bullshit. They weren't like living up to um, what I was sort of uh, coming, this conclusion that I was coming to about what it means to be a Christian. And so, sure. um, so I do think that uh, whatever it means to follow Jesus, it has to result in, um, you know, uh, it has to result in some kind of practical change toward building a better world. Otherwise, sure. it's meaningless. It has to result, to put it in the language of the Bible, it has to result in justice for the poor and oppressed and the widows and the orphans, right? Otherwise, mm -hmm. what the fuck are you doing? Right. So, so basically, it's like, you know, uh, to kind of go back to sort of like a, I guess, like a more of like an Old Testament idea in yeah. terms of like aligning your will to God or whatever, or aligning to God's will, rather, um, fall to be a real follower of Jesus, like, and aligning yourself to God's will would, would put you squarely into like the service of others. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Cool. Um, also curious, just, uh, in, when you went to seminary, was that just an ultra conservative environment or did you, <laughs> did, was there a lot of people that you could have some pretty like progressive conversations with in that yeah. area? Yeah. So, uh, it, so Fuller is kind of a weird place in that I would say within evangelicalism, it's sort of in the middle of the conservative progressive scale. So there are more progressive seminaries out there that probably see Fuller as like pretty conservative. But then there are like fundamentalist, really conservative seminaries that think Fuller is like, you know, uh, practically like you know, the Soviet Union or something like that. Like, they, right. you know, so, um, but I, I would say that like putting that then on the broader scale of culture, it still is on the conservative side. I mean, you know, so, sure. um, so yeah, there were a lot of students who were, um, pretty conservative, but thankfully, um, you know, because I kind of, you know, let my radical philosophical flag fly pretty early on uh i encountered uh like-minded people really quickly and there's actually a professor there barry taylor who's like uh a, he was a former roadie for like acdc he's like this <laughs> really cool like british dude who, who dresses like he, his fashion sense is amazing but he teaches like theology and culture classes and he actually his phd is from fuller um but he was he would kind of like, um, and still does, as far as I know, take like these more progressive, like a radical students kind of under his wing. And like, we had a reading group with him like the whole time that I was at Fuller. 
Um, cool. And so we were reading things like Richard Kearney's uh, An Atheism, and, um, which I think you read, didn't you, Andrew? Did I give that to you? I don't think so. Not um, that one. Okay. Oh, anyway, we were reading stuff like, um, you know, that was fairly, like, for, by Fuller standards, like, not, not anything that you would have read in their classes. Probably. Sure. So. Yeah. So definitely like sparking some, some yeah, discussions. Right. And I think that the for the most part the professors were all mostly fairly progressive. Um it was just the students who were like, you know, <laughs> some of the students really were not at all. Right. So and yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that's an interesting spot to be in as a student too when you're trying to like yeah uh, lock, lock into that mode and and uh trying to uh <laughs> right. stay within the rules of some somewhat well i remember i was a I was a like a student ambassador for fuller because i got free like lunches and dinners for like meeting with prospective students who were interested in coming mm-hmm. and i <laughs> this one meeting i had with this guy and his wife um, you know, he's asking me about like my favorite classes. And so I told him like, oh, I took this class on postmodern philosophy. And he was like, postmodernism. And he like lost his shit and got into this like, I mean, I wasn't shouting. He was shouting at me. He was like angry. And he like left and I assume never came back and decided not to go to Fuller. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, OK, I guess I mean. <laughs> Fuck that dude's experience. Right, yeah. (laughs) Also, uh, with your background, is it super important to you that you find a church where you really respect the pastor? Or do you kind of just go to whatever church is in your community and you kind of just ride it out knowing that it's always going to be (laughs) a changing thing? Yeah. Who's running? I mean, so when when we lived in Chicago, like my wife and I were recently married. Um, her dad actually had just died like two months after we moved. Um, and so it was like a really like tumultuous time, um, in both of our lives. Uh, and so I kind of, at that point just decided, all right, let's find a church that like you're comfortable with and I'll just go with it. And that's kind of how we ended up where we did. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we kept going cause we, you know, we met people that we genuinely liked and, you know, some of my best friends in Chicago I met out of that church experience. Sure. Um, and so this time, you know, we, I mean, we have a kid now. And so we're thinking about like her experience and like, are there going to be other kids? And we've been to a bunch of churches in our community um, that like have like no kids. <laughs> it's like all old people or something. And so, yeah, so it's like, I mean, yes, I do want to be in a different situation where I'm not feeling like I'm supporting, like tacitly supporting homophobia or anti-Semitism or casual racism because I attend this church. Like, you know, um, but at the same time, like having a Ph.D. in religion and having studied theology, you're never going to find a church that like thinks exactly the way that you do about these things unless you like start your own church. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, so, yeah, I mean, so we've been going to a church that um is pastored by like a a husband wife pastoral team. Um you know, it's really small, but there actually are some people 
there who who went to Fuller, who went to the seminary that I went to, like you know, a little bit before I did. So it's and it's more cool. it's more progressive, um, a little bit more progressive. I well, a lot more progressive than the church we came from, and uh, so yeah, so it's yeah, it's a mixed bag. It always is. And for me, right. the the most important thing is actually just finding people that I like can connect with and have like build friendships with, which is like getting increasingly more difficult, like the older <laughs> I get, right? Oh. I'm 37 now. And like this move has been real hard, like in terms of making friends. Cause yeah, you know, yeah, it's just been really challenging. Well, now so, you're real fucked. So yeah, exactly. I mean, we're just <laughs> been, it's just the three of us, you know? Yeah, you have so much free time. You have to do ridiculous podcasts. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, I think that was all. All. Uh, all of my questions in regards to that. Be- before we jump sure. into uh, some of these readings. Yeah. 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 Appreciate your perspective and and willingness to kind of share on that. I think it's really interesting, um, especially for people who maybe like I know when I first. I guess left Christianity for lack of a better term you know there was a period of time where I was kind of just like all Christians are fucking dummies and (laughs) you know like there's there's no way around that right and then as I got older I started to realize like one the value of a spiritual or religious practice to the value of like community and being in service to your community um, and being with like-minded people who you can band together with to serve your community. I think if there's one amazing thing that we've maybe learned from this whole pandemic situation is the power of community, even in an an a-religious context in terms of just like, Hey, if we all pull together, like fucking 27 bucks each, like we can feed every person who needs to be fed in the community and we can like Mm -hmm. handle all of these like little issues and whatever. And there's so many networks right now that are popping up, uh, trying to help people who, who really need it, which is, um, incredible. So, um, yeah, it's sort of, um, I think it's important for people to realize that like, yeah, I mean, nothing is black and white and, um, yeah, it's possible to be, you know, sort of, I think Richard Rohr puts it really, really well when he says he's on the, He's on the outside of the inside, I think is the way yeah. that he puts it. Yeah. He's yeah. on the outer edge of the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's... yeah. I think that definitely describes uh, my feeling. And it's weird because it, it actually can be a very isolating experience, um, weirdly. For sure. Like, I, like at the church we attended in Chicago, um, I played music. Like, I, would, I was playing um, some instrument, guitar, bass, drums, like, almost every single week um because they just they were desperate for musicians and sometimes i was leading the worship you know the singing and stuff um but there yeah we like we never really felt like we were fully on the inside of that community um and sometimes when i would go to talk to people or people would come you know would talk to me or something like i would sometimes sort of sense this like almost like fear in them or something like yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have social anxiety disorders, so, so that could sure. have been part of it. But no, but I mean, like, I, I really do think that some people, um, like, especially, like, in the beginning when we were active in a small group, um, there were people in the church who, like, were afraid that, like, I was not a Christian or something. Sure, um, or that you what? were going to, especially since you had such a strong academic background, that you were going to somehow, like, 
uh, I don't know, call them out in some weird study right. way or something. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. yeah, I don't know. But it was it was a kind of a weird, um, yeah, isolating experience. Sure. For sure. Right. I, I'm. I'm. We're gonna. We're gonna get into it in like one of these chapters. But I feel like that right. was you know <laughs> that that officer kind of striking Jesus in the face after. You know, he right, right, he yeah. Lets them know what's up, you know, and yeah, you know, it's it's out of fear, you know. Yeah, that, yeah, totally. That's something unknown is kind of taken over. Yeah. Cool. So before we dive into John, I am a little bit curious about because um, initially you had wanted, you know, we we told you like, oh, let's do a uh, an episode on the resurrection story for Easter. Um, you know, take your pick, and you picked Matthew, which we had already gone through Matthew, so I was like, oh, you know, maybe let's do John. Yeah. But I'm curious, kind of like, the Gospels are obviously so are all pretty different, uh-huh. um, and I'm kind of curious what your take is on just like, yeah, like, what do you see, what do you see that's different between Matthew and John, or just like, not even from like a details perspective or a storytelling perspective, um, but... Yeah, I don't know. There's a there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm just kind of curious, like throwing that out at you, sure. like what what grabs you as uh, as different between those two takes of of the story. Well, so I think that like, I mean, not to give like too canned of an academic answer, but um, I mean, generally speaking, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all kind of fit together, right? They're all based on the same sources. And so they're referred to often in scholarship as the synoptic gospels because they mm-hmm. provide this like three-part view of basically the same story, right? Whereas John was written uh, much later, like probably the earliest date for John is like 85 CE or 90 CE or something like that. Whereas the Matthew, are... yeah, they're okay. like 60 CE. So they're like okay. 30 years at least before John. Um, and so, uh, John is, I think much more, uh, it's like much more Hellenistic, like it's much more Greek philosophy influence. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's much more mystical, right? So for sure, like one of the common ways that the gospels sort of get divvied up is in terms of like how each one presents Jesus, right? So it, Matthew is sort of written the audience of Matthew are the Jews, right, who have not converted. And so Jesus is presented as the heir of David, right? In Mark, he's presented as this suffering servant. In Luke, he's presented um, to the Gentiles more and as like a a healer. Um, And in John, I mean, the Gospel of John begins with a new creation story, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word, the Logos, right, in Greek, is Jesus, right? So, so John presents Jesus as the Logos, right, which is like this really, like that's, you know, kind of the academic, like, parlance, I guess you could say. Sure. Um, and there's a lot of ways that you could unpack, like, what that means in the beginning of John, like, to say that Jesus is the word, right? Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of theological work has been done on that. But yeah, so that's the main difference I, I see is that John is um, is much more mystical, presents Jesus in a much more mystical, um, spiritualized, I guess you could say, um, sure. way. 
um, than the other Gospels do. Uh, dumb question for you is, and I could probably Google this if I wanted to, but I decided not to. <laughs> um, Gospel of John, are, like, is this the Gospel of John the Baptist, or is no. it a different John? No, it's John the Evangelist. Um, okay. So it's actually unknown. Like, I mean, the the real authors of the Gospels are not truly known, right? They're attributed right. to these people, but usually, like, so so John, the Gospel of John, the letters of John, First John, Second John, Third John, and the Book of Revelation are all traditionally attributed to an apostle called John the Evan- John the Evangelist. Um, yeah. And I think that the, I mean, the main sort of historical thing to take away from that um, traditional story is that there was a Johannine um, sort of school of Christianity in the very early history of the church, like before the Bible was, or before the New Testament was compiled. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, so there was a Pauline, you know, branch kind of uh, group. There were people who followed um, Peter and and the, Paul actually talks about this in, in one of his letters where he's like, you know, some of you follow Peter, some of you follow me. Stop fighting. You're all Christians kind of thing. But there sure. were these kind of like very early divisions. I mean, as is the yeah. case with literally every religion. Yeah. Um, you know, these or like anything. I mean, it yeah. doesn't even have to any human anything is right, like exactly. people are these, gonna be like, yeah. well, I think the tables should be squared. Someone else is like, No, fuck you, rectangles only. <laughs> You're just like, right. Why? So the so the Johannine sort of version of Jesus um tends to be more mystical, spiritual. I mean, the book of Revelation obviously is like the strongest example of this kind of um imagery but you see it mm-hmm. a little bit in the gospel of john as well cool but not that john andrew you can't have yeah, your head not, served on a platter on the and then and then have a gospel too bro <laughs> yeah no he died he died before all this went down <laughs> yeah so. but i thought they all did so i was just kind of like i don't know maybe <laughs> not that it was attributed to him but maybe it was like in his honor or something yeah, no, i mean that's I was, what a lot I was of these, in that same boat i mean that that was like a super common practice in the ancient world in, in terms of writing like even the like the epistles right that come after the God, after the book of acts um you know a lot of them are attributed to paul but paul didn't write them right they were right. just followers of paul and that's just like a common thing sure. that yeah so cool. damn that'd be so wild now though people yeah. just write books about you just like a group of people <laughs> just like attribute all this shit to you and you're like i didn't say that that's not what happened i know yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's funny cool well yeah let's get into uh let's get into this resurrection story as told by the gospel of john uh which begins with jesus getting arrested um and i the way that we've sort of approached this is like i don't know we kind of just go section by section and like any notable verses or anything that anyone wants to call out is sort of just like open we don't have to go you know necessarily verse by verse but just sort of trying to tell the story, talk about uh, verses here and there that are interesting. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so, I mean, do you, have you guys talked about, like, any of, like, the Jewish history of, like, what's going on? Like, why Jesus was, like, even arrested or executed or anything like that? I think we got into that a little bit in Matthew, and I think, okay. you know, we could sort of sum it up in the sense of just, like, 
you know, Jesus is, especially in Matthew, like, Jesus is taking a giant dump on the Pharisees. I mean, he is challenging this, like, power structure to its very core. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, what he's calling for is is seems very radical. Uh, it's, like, hyper-inclusive. And, yeah, it's a, ma- it's a massive threat to, like, the existing, um, I guess, like, priest class of of that area of judaism but well yeah so the the pharisees actually weren't priests they were sort of an intellectual like philosophical group the sadducees were the ones who were like the aristocratic wealthy high priest got it type people um and it's actually probably pretty likely that jesus considered himself a pharisee um which i know like for some people, that's like mind blown. Like, what? Sure. How could Jesus no, be a that Pharisee? Makes, that makes sense, though. But yeah, no, I mean, you're, like, you're calling him like this intellectual kind of group, right? Exactly. And and like, if you're, he knows so much about their their thought about the Bible and their way of reading the Bible. I mean, it's true that the the and this is presented like pretty clearly, like in all the Gospels, that the Pharisees did think that their interpretation of the law was correct, right? And so that's really what they were. They were like a legal school like a legal a philosophical legal school of, sure. of thinking um but also jesus was a threat because he what he seemed to be advocating for was um was along the lines of what another sect of jews called the zealots were advocating for which was the overthrow of rome right right, right. they thought they were going to lose their country yeah i mean like they i mean they basically they had, I mean, they were, they were under Roman rule, but the, prior to the Romans getting there, the Jews had already led a successful revolt against the remnants of the Greek empire following Alexander Mm -hmm. the Great, right? The Seleucid empire they had, that's the, the, you know, the story of Hanukkah, right? The Maccabees. Sure. Like they, you know, they oust the Greeks, they establish their own empire that's there for like a hundred years, and then the Romans come in. And so the Pharisees um, were seen as like uh, sort of the the group um, of Jewish leaders who were like of the people. They were more democratic. They had the common good at heart. Um, and so because of that, like they did not want any kind of revolt to take place, right? And right. so that was that was part of it too. Yeah, Jesus was calling for some pretty radical reforms and was challenging their reading of the law, but they also did not want to be put down under the boot of the Roman Empire, which actually is what happened, right? Just 35 years or so after Jesus was crucified, you have the first Jewish-Roman war, and Mm -hmm. the Second Temple is destroyed in 70 CE, and the Jews are, um, it's the beginning of the Jewish diaspora. I mean, it's a total disaster. So right. they were they were right to not want uh, rebellion against Rome, um, sure. but they were wrong in that they thought that that's what Jesus was doing, and it turned out that that wasn't what Jesus was doing. So sure, yeah, sure, yeah. Which kind of brings me to the first part of this story when Jesus is getting arrested and Judas has betrayed him, right? Um, and you know the these people say like you know. Uh, Jesus is like, you know, who who is it that you want? And they say Jesus of Nazareth. And then he's like, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he asks them again, who is it that you want? And they're like, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And he's like, yeah, I told you that I am he. And if you're looking for me, you know, let these men go. But I thought that that was interesting that that was included. Like, um, I don't know, just sort of that need to like restate it. Uh, and I was wondering if you had like any thoughts on, on what sort of is going on there. I mean, I think that uh, a lot of like things that strike us as weird, like, like weird aspects of, of storytelling, like, we wouldn't tell a story this way um, sure. are usually attributable to the way that stories were told and the way things were emphasized right. in the ancient world. So I do think that it is um, sort of a way of emphasizing who Jesus is, but also, um, you know, I think it's, it's a way of saying that um, there could be a way of saying that the, the people who came to arrest him were afraid of him. Um, mm -hmm. I think because again, like everybody, including the disciples, including Peter, who was the closest disciple to Jesus up until, right. up until Jesus was actually resurrected, Peter still thought that Jesus was a, um, was going to be the leader of a rebellion. Right. right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's why, why he draws his sword. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's why he draws his sword. Um, he's ready to fight. That's why in Matthew, if you remember back to Matthew, uh, I think it's chapter 16, when um, Jesus tells them, like he reveals that he's the son of God, and he tells them, oh, by the way, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be raised again. And Peter says, God forbid it, Lord, that will never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, right? The, that famous line. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a callback actually to Matthew 4, where Jesus is tempted in the desert by by the devil right who offers him all the kingdoms of the world right so basically peter is offering him right in that moment yeah, he's like we'll um, fight for you the, the worldly right the worldly messiah right the, the messiah that the jewish people had been expecting really since the collapse of the uh of the hasmonean dynasty so the the kingdom that the jews had for about 100 years between the greeks and the romans um, you know, following that there, I mean, well, actually going all the way back to the Babylonian exile, like 600 years before Jesus, that's when this like whole Messiah narrative had developed. But the, you know, the whole point of that is to say that the Jews always thought that the, that the Messiah was a, um, was a political Messiah, right? right? King of Kings in a worldly sense, not necessarily Exactly, exactly. Sense. Yeah. Cool. Um... Yeah, so that's sort of what happens. Jesus gets arrested. Peter's like, I'll fight for you. And Jesus is like, dude, it's cool. Yeah, chill out, uh, bro. Chill out. What are you doing? Yeah. You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Chopping that people's ears off. Dude, ch hey, chill. I put that this. away. Yeah. <laughs> put that away. Um, yeah, and then we get into, like, sort of the uh, Peter's first denial, um, which I don't have anything on, but if someone else does, feel free to chime in. I mean, um, I think that that's just the denials are just further um, further evidence of, of Peter's like inability to see what's happening. Right. Right. And I think that the, I think that a lot of what this story, especially in John is trying to communicate is that like, even when, even the people who were right there, like couldn't believe what was right. happening. Like that's yeah, how Thomas, much Peter. faith it actually requires. Right. So it's this, Kind of recognition that um yeah they're like believing this 
is like really fucking hard. <laughs> like it's really hard sure, to accept. Even when you're seeing it. Yeah, and not even, even when it's right necessarily in front of you. believing, yeah. but just to me, like some so much of it just seems like seeing the deeper understanding. Like so much of yes, Matthew totally. is Jesus telling his disciples are you dense? I have to yeah, like exactly. tell you again that this is a that yeah. this is a parable, that this right, is an right. allegory, that this is a yeah. metaphor for something deeper. Right. Um, and yeah, it's sort of that same thing of uh, which I think we'll get into later. But of just like this is yeah, there's something much deeper at play here than just the like actual facts of the story. Um, yeah, that Jesus is tapped into clearly. That like the disciples are have their own weird narrative that they're sort of spinning, especially Peter. Right, right. Yeah, and, sure. I mean, he's and he's afraid because he, you know, if he still believes that Jesus is a military like rebel, like a political dissident, right? He was his closest follower. He's in big fucking trouble if that's the case. Like, right, he could yeah. be executed. And so right. that, I mean, that's why that's one of the reasons why he's also why he's denying it, the denials. Right? Yeah. yeah. So this high priest questions Jesus section I thought was pretty interesting and and Dan you had already sort of nodded to this but um where yeah the the high priest is questioning Jesus about about his teachings and Jesus says uh in in verse 20 I've spoken openly to the world I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together I said nothing in secret why question me ask those who heard me surely they know what I said um and yeah I don't know I thought that that was a pretty um i don't know like a pretty interesting just statement to sort of unpack uh mm-hmm. in terms of like yeah the fact that like jesus is basically saying like everything is hidden in plain sight sort of thing like it's all yeah. right there also like yeah like what else do you need to see yeah yeah i mean i think that it i think it also i mean it it there's like a, a parallel here sort of with what you were saying about um, about the parables, right? And uh, sort of, you know, Jesus uh, teaching in this kind of like esoteric way. Um, and yet everything is, everything you need to know is, is right there in front of you if you just like pay attention, basically. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you do mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, all this shit's right here. It's right. <laughs> all we had to do was go out in the forest and surround around this little fire, and it's all right here. Oh, Fucking wild, man. Perfect sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Quick side note. I so I was telling Joel like I was I've been listening to these lectures uh, from this guy from Emory University. His name's Luke something. I don't particularly like him very much. Luke Timothy Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty um, conservative, actually. Yeah, he's yeah. interesting. He's very smart, but he, as I'm sure you're aware, he speaks very much in a language uh, that I think I am not apt to. You know, everything that he describes is like, oh, well, this is clearly like a, you know, Calvinistic interpretation of blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, none of these words mean anything to me. Can you just <laughs> say in plain language? But he, uh, I was listening to a lecture recently where he is describing. Um, some of the mystical experiences of um, those of like the Merkaba and and Kabbalah, mm-hmm. um, and some of those descriptions of mystical experiences. Dan, we need to do an episode on this because it is a straight up description of a mushroom trip. Like they are talking <laughs> about 
like <laughs> you having this intense like crazy bodily sensation and then sort of like blasting off into some other realm and like you know coming in contact with like the heavens essentially and then descending back into your normal reality but the having had that experience to now integrate into your life i don't know it's really interesting it's not how he was talking about it obviously but like in these old descriptions of like and this is all after the resurrection of jesus this is all mm-hmm. like in the you know third to seventh century somewhere right, in there, right yeah or even later in some in some cases mm-hmm. um but yeah it was really interesting where i was just like yeah i mean you just put in very plain language um my own experiences with intense mushroom trips which is <laughs> insane um anyways um yeah, so like verse 23 of chapter 18, that that was uh, what I was speaking to earlier. That's the, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong, but I spoke the truth. Why did you strike me? Yeah. And after he gets hit and uh, yeah, it's just kind of like this, like why would you be acting out of such anger if he wasn't spewing truth that you didn't want to hear? Yeah, totally. Um. Yeah, I also like Andrew and I have been talking about a lot of this from the perspective of just like this internal reflection. And I just thought that was an interesting moment of like kind of, uh, you know, when, when you when you kind of know that the truth within a situation is there and you're, you're kind of wrestling with yourself and battling with it. And uh, yeah, striking really yourself. Hard. Yeah, it's really hard to like look at it straight in the face sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah that's a cool that's a that's an interesting perspective and it's <laughs> yeah yeah i like that um i i mean it's interesting too because i i do think that <laughs> that is how often how um more conservative christians tend to understand like the figure of jesus like sort of in this um kind of abstract way like this i think I mean, it's just kind of hitting me, like, right now for the first time that, like, um, that, that this little scene right here with the priest smacking Jesus and Jesus, like, um, you know, kind of standing resolute, like, if I spoke the truth, then why are you so upset? Um, I feel like a lot of evangelicals especially sort of see Jesus, like, as that, like, wall, right, that they hit up against continually right they they have this conception of jesus and like the truth of jesus as like this immovable force or something that they like strike against or hit or kick or try to fight against but then they they can't or something like that right? yeah is, very <laughs> interesting huh interesting but it's something that is it's something that's outside of them that they're trying to butt up against as opposed to like an internal well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, well, I mean, Jesus is always in your heart, Andrew, right? <laughs> so, Touche. So is, He's in mine. I was baptized as a Catholic, so I'm so, fucking good forever. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's... Yeah, you're it, right. There's I mean, it, it's, weird... sort of, it's sort of both. It's kind of like weirdly both, but... yeah. Yeah. So they have some acknowledgement of the shadow person as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, so then Peter just keeps denying because he's, you know, he's on that tip. But 
<laughs> that we get into this story of, of Jesus before Pilate. And I think in this, uh, compared to Matthew in particular, this gospel is very much like Pilate is like on Jesus's team. He's like, dude, yeah. what did you do? I don't right, understand. Right, yeah. <laughs> Why are these people so upset? He's like, clearly, like, we shouldn't, like, crucify you. Like, that doesn't seem <laughs> yeah. fair. I mean, so it's a weird, it's a weird episode because historically speaking, um, based on what Jesus was claiming about being the son of God, that was reason enough to crucify him, according to Roman law. Because the only person that can hold the title son of God was the emperor, right? So if, sure. if, you, sure, sure. if you were claiming that the emperor was not the son of God, you were, you I mean, saying, that, the, the, Romans, the Romans actually called that atheism, um, oddly enough, uh, you know, and that was punishable by death. And so, I mean, Jesus, most historians agree that Jesus was crucified for being a political dissident, right? For like, um, for stirring the populace to like rebellion, for being an agitator, sure. right? And so, like, as I was rereading this, I was thinking, like, Pilate doesn't really seem to give a shit about that. Like, no, he he's doesn't. not really bothered. Like, he's kind of annoyed that this is happening. But the Jews are like, are basically promising that, like, if you don't kill him, like, then like you're gonna be in big fucking trouble. <laughs> like, yeah, you're fucked. So yeah. yeah. What do you think about um, in terms of just talking this idea of Jesus claiming he's the Son of God? Uh, this is something that I, in terms of like my own kind of mystical, esoteric understanding of of trying to read the Gospels and, and dig out some deeper truths. There are moments of uh, reading Jesus's words where like instead of thinking of it as like Jesus is saying this as a person that existed, it's like Jesus is speaking as some form of like Christ consciousness, some elevated form that like we are all, you know, sort of like laying out the map for your own hero's journey, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so him claiming that he's the son of God is more this like esoteric way of saying like, I'm tapped into this completely other realm and I'm yeah. trying to bring down truth to you. Right. And like that's what's behind that statement, as opposed to this like more literal understanding of like, no, I'm the actual like, you know, spawn of and the only one. Um, right. And that, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious, like, if, if what your thoughts are on that, or what you're what you're down to call bullshit on that, or whatever. <laughs> no, so I mean, I, there is like uh, there is a strand of uh, you know what we would say in theology, uh, Christology, right? study of Jesus and like his personhood and, and divinity and everything. Um, there is a strand of Christology that sees Jesus as a kind of like exemplar figure. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there are a few different models of um, in theology of like how Jesus is, uh, you know, ex ministry is supposed to be, and then death and resurrection is supposed to be understood. And one of the ones that emerges, I think gain, it doesn't emerge in the Enlightenment period, but sort of gains the most popularity and strength is during the Enlightenment, right? Because if Jesus is not literally the Son of God, but is just tapped into some kind of um, 
greater consciousness or something like that. Yeah, sort of like along um, the lines of like the Buddha or something. You know, yeah. Being then, then like you don't, you're not put in this position where you're having to explain something metaphysical that's not explainable through science. Right. Right. Um, so I, I would say that like uh, traditionally speaking, like according to the tradition of the church, like to say that Jesus had a consciousness that was tapped into God is a heresy. <laughs> Like officially, word. Yeah, I felt like that's what uh, even when he was maybe touching upon on verse thirty-six of eighteen, when he yeah. talks about my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Mm. I don't know. It just seemed like he was talking about being tapped into something else there. But right, no, also, um, no, you know. totally. I mean, there's like there's a few different ways to read that. Like he. Um, you know, hist again, historically speaking, like he's talking about, um, he's basically saying like, this is not the rebellion that you thought. Right. Like, right. that's not why I'm being arrested. But, I mean, again, like from the sort of confessional Christian perspective, Jesus is basically saying, you're completely missing the point of all of this. I have to die so that I can be resurrected, you know, yeah. for the salvation of the world. Um, you know, from a more historical perspective, um, it's really impossible. To, I mean, scholars have really struggled to try to explain, like, what exactly Jesus was thinking. I mean, even, I mean, this is true of any any religious figure, like charismatic religious figure. Jesus, the Buddha, Muhammad, even Joseph Smith, right, who founded right. Mormonism. Like, um, scholars have really had a hard time kind of coming up with a uh, like concrete, like really compelling answer for why them, right? Why, or like why this person even... at this time and how the fuck did this guy in a backwater like province of the Roman empire spawn a religion that completely changed the face of the entire sure. world for 2000 years? Like how does that happen? Well, I think there's the why them. There's also the like, what was their real motive? Which we can't right know, it's really, really right yeah it's like did Jesus did Jesus really believe that he was the son of God like right. did he like and and if so then like or if we can't know that then yeah Dan's question of like what is he really saying here about you know my kingdom is not of this world you know I'm I'm tapped into something else or I mean I think that again historically speaking I think we can say that. That Jesus, uh, you know, this is like especially clear in the book of Matthew when he talks about like the destruction of the temple. And it, a lot of mm -hmm. people interpret that as like the end of the world. This is like right before the arrest and crucifixion narrative in Matthew. Um, but really, he's basically saying like, don't rebel against Rome. <laughs> like right. that's the historical, probably the more historically accurate understanding of his words there. And I think you can probably extrapolate that into what he's saying here. Like, the kingdom I want to establish is not a rebellion against Rome. It's just, it's something else entirely. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to show you guys real quickly. This is uh, this adorable little scene. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, kitty. <laughs> nice. I don't, I have no idea what the fuck these socks are doing out here on my uh, back patio table. One of my roommates just like being like, yeah, these socks need to dry out. I don't know. 
Weird. <laughs> uh, I'm not touching them. Subi's into it though. Anyways, um, yeah, okay. It's. I think that that's a that's a kind of a salient point. Um, you know, if you if you lean too far into this sort of like mystical interpretation of things, you you can get lost in the sauce a little bit uh, in mm-hmm. terms of missing like all of the historical context of of what's loaded behind that as well. But yeah. at the same time, I do like to think, at least for myself how interesting that maybe like all of that could exist that there are these multiple layers of meaning behind each word that he's oh, speaking because totally. he is so yeah like, and i don't sort of... and i don't mean to suggest that like the historical reading is like trumps all others or something like that like i'm definitely sure. of the opinion that there are layers of meaning here and i, I don't th- i you know i just don't think religion works that way like I don't think the point of studying religion is to, like, try to explain it, like, only in terms of something else and not whatever religious people say it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, so a mystical understanding. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. But, but, you know, I think it's also really cool to get some information on, like, the historical context, too, to be like. Yeah, but also he's talking about this rebellion. Right. Like Christianity didn't become the biggest religion in the world because of the mystical interpretation of Jesus's life. Like, that's not how it landed where it is today. So for sure, it bears consideration. It's worth considering for sure. Um, Cool. So this story basically moves on and, uh, you know, Jesus go back and forth on this and and then Jesus and Pilate go back and forth on this and then. yeah, the Jews are basically like, yeah, give us the, you know, same thing as in Matthew, like, give us the thief, um, which part of that, going back just a little bit to verse 39, um, is the fact that, like, all of this is happening during the time of Passover, which is right. what we're currently in right now. Yeah. And I was kind of curious what your take is on that, like, what the significance is that, like, all of this is happening during, like, arguably the most important festival and kind of celebration of jewish faith um that they have um and this is happening amidst that and part of the reason that Pilate is saying you know well i can like free someone is because it's it's part of their tradition like during passover mm-hmm. he would free you know someone who was sentenced to something right um yeah i don't know i just it's interesting dan and i just did this episode on the 10 plagues because it's you know mm-hmm. pertinent to right now and then it ends with the story of passover and i didn't even realize that like passover is right now like i just didn't even make that connection um <laughs> but i started started to make this connection obviously reading through this and being like yeah oh damn like i feel like that is We're significant yeah 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 i mean so you know passover is when the angel of death like the 10th plague passes over the houses right. of the Jews who were told to put this mark in lamb's blood, right? So there's there are a lot of connections there, like the, you know, the sacrifice of the lamb, right? And Jesus being called the lamb of God, right? As the sacrifice yeah, that... For the whole world. Right. So the mark of, of the blood on the door, right, is what, um, is what absolved is what basically told the plague to to ignore those houses and not take the firstborn son, right? Um, so it's what saved, it was their savior, essentially, right, is, mm-hmm. is one way you could look at it. And so Jesus, um, in, you know, um, 
is also metaphorically the um you know as the lamb of god the savior of the world the the ultimate final sacrifice to end all sacrifice so i think that that's that's part of it right okay um yeah yeah that makes sense cool so yeah the story moves on and into chapter 19 uh jesus is like just straight up sentenced to be crucified and it just starts off immediately with like and jesus is getting flogged um and this <laughs> yeah, is like right. to me this is just like a huge um yeah i mean you know when i was in high school i think the passion of the christ came out mm-hmm. um which is a Brutal. you know super gory uh yeah. crucifixion scene and really like this scene where it's like jesus is getting flogged they put oh, the crown of thorns on yeah, him crazy. all of this stuff like it's pretty gnarly in that movie yeah, um, yeah. And I was trying to think like which gospel, because I feel like the gospel of Matthew, the crucifixion story is not as graphic as what we're reading here in John, at least from what I remember. Right. Yeah. No, I don't think it is. Um, but uh, but yeah, these I mean, these punishments for political agitation. I mean, the Romans did not fuck around with that. No, they <laughs> like, did not. Yeah, they, they didn't were have an down. empire their size without yeah. uh, stomping out little dissidents right. here and there. Yeah, no, they were not down at all. Um, what I was going to mention, actually, um, have have either of you read or ever heard of the novel uh, Master and Margarita? The Master and Margarita. No. Okay, it's this it's Russian. It's this Russian novel, like this very crazy magical realism novel but the second chapter is this like retelling of this conversation between Pilate and jesus and it's super interesting it would be really interesting to actually to go back and read it after having this conversation but i highly recommend that the book it's about um i mean the book itself is is that um the devil comes to moscow it's like 1930s moscow in the form of a giant cat um and it's just it's insanity. It's so sure. crazy and weird. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, highly recommend. What What was the title on the master? Again? The master and Margarita. All right, it's going yeah. on the Bible Buds reading list. <laughs> Put yeah. it up there. So, which part are you talking about? The this conversation in yeah. chapter nineteen, like in yes. verse four and five. The yeah. Um, well, I mean, everything from the end of the end of eighteen, basically the whole, um, the whole section Jesus before Pilate. Okay. Like Got his pilots questioning of him and Jesus and their whole, and there's like much, I mean, um, yeah, there's a ton of stuff that's added to it, but very anyway, cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I really dig that. The part of the crucifixion, uh, it's verse 21. Uh, the chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews. And then, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews, and Pilate answers, "What if I have written what I have written?" And it's just <laughs> like you can write whatever you want, but it is what it is. Like the truth is there. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, and uh, I mean, it's it's also interesting. I mean, I keep I feel like I keep harping on this like history thing and like the but like. It's interesting to note like how much confusion there is 
like among all these among these two groups, like um, between the Romans and yeah, because the to Jews. Pilate, he probably has no idea anything that's no. really been happening. Like he maybe has heard a little bit about it, but he's probably pretty like right for the most exactly. part doesn't really know what's been going down. Yeah, and I mean the way that the, I mean the way that all of of the Roman Empire worked was that you had these governors, these like prefects, basically that oversaw certain provinces. Um, it probably wasn't a desirable assignment to be the fucking governor of Judea, right? Because it really right. was like the backwater, like bullshit, you know, no one wanted to go there. Like, Yeah, in terms of the entire Roman Empire, like there was right, better not, places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was the, yeah, the, it the was Judean the desert. fucking Fresno of, <laughs> of the Roman Empire. <laughs> Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, for anybody that understands that yeah. reference, amazing for them. Yeah, right sorry. Now. We're, you know, being <laughs> no, from, we're so from, we're from California, so, you know. Absolutely. Um, hey, yeah. you guys keep going. I need to, I need to, to rip a piss real quick. Okay. Uh, but I'll be right back. Okay. Um, what was I? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, Pilot even says, like, am I a Jew? Like to the to the high priest, or I think to Jesus or the high priest. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah, it's um, it is interesting because Pilate really has no clue, like what um, you know, what he's doing, or or what he what is happening. Uh, but but neither do the Jews really, because both of them are like the way that the gospel is presenting it is that like, they're both misunderstanding what is happening here. Like Jesus was not proclaiming himself King of the Jews. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's so interesting getting all the historical context for this because the, I'm, I'm kind of going into a lot of this very blind. Like I didn't, I grew up Catholic, uh -huh. but very loosely and, sure. you know, went to church on most Sundays and did some Catholicism school as a kid, but uh -huh. just, uh, I didn't really ever go through the Bible. So like right, this thing right. that I've been doing with Andrew is kind of my first run on a lot of it. So it's just like, yeah, it's just For like sure. really interesting what, what I'm pulling out of it without any of the historical context is it's like, Oh, that, that, no wonder there's so many different interpretations of this. Oh, thing hell yeah. Because it's just, I know. It's just whatever you take from it. Right. Exactly. But uh, very cool that, I don't know, just to, it's rad to get to go through with you and just like get a lot of the historical context. Cause it will like, it will inform, you know, there's no doubt when I think about the Pharisees now, I'm thinking about <laughs> them as this different group of people. Right. Um, yeah. Now. Yeah. So, and that that's just been like the cool experience of doing this in general, because you know some of my, some of Andrew's uh, you know perspective is definitely affects now like how I'm thinking about things. For even sure. Having my my cousin on last week, uh -huh. and, you know, just the way he spoke about the the chief priests and stuff like that he's like that's the establishment bro so now, like every time you know like i'm thinking Hell about yeah. like punk right. i'm thinking about punk rock jesus now too and and yeah. like i think that's going to be like the the trip of, of kind of having different people on this thing and right. getting their perspective is just you know it just affects the readings of things so yeah um yeah um i was curious i think it's 
this part. Um, I was curious about just this verse 26 when uh, when Jesus been being walked out and he sees mm-hmm. his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby he said to his mother, dear woman, here's your son and to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Um, yeah. What is that? What is happening there? Um, <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's so like uh, there's so many uh, there's so many different ways. I feel like this has been read. Um, some people, you know, will take take this as like um, Jesus is talking about like the establishment of like a spiritual family or something like that. Right. Mm. I mean, in the um, earlier, I don't know if this happens in the Gospel of John, but definitely in Matthew, there's like a pretty disturbing <laughs> verse where Jesus, uh, I mean, there's a couple places actually where um, Jesus basically talks about like leaving your family or not yeah. having a family. That's right? some of my favorite shit, honestly, in the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah. Because dude, I, I mean, feel like he's, he's, he's basically saying like, um, yeah, turning, turning, you know, son against father, and and yada, yada and brother against brother, and whatever, and and yeah, essentially calling for that and saying like, your conception of family, is uh, your conception of groups in general is wrong. Like we're all connected to this thing, and uh, you need to get behind to this this completely other understanding of of sort of the world, and and stop thinking in terms of like these divisive dualistic. Um, you know, right. ideas. Right. And I think that, I mean, you know, again, like to bring the historical context into that, he is talking about, um, an imp- he is talking about an impending rebellion. I mean, it, it's not, it's really not that, um, that difficult, uh, you know, it, at the time that Jesus is alive to, um, to have the sense that like there is unrest among the Jews. And sure there's a strong likelihood that there's going to be rebellion and the Jews are going to be turned against one another. Like with in terms of those to... who want to retain the status exactly. quo and those who yeah. want to move it forward. Yeah, exactly. And, and he, and, and then he's talking about a completely different way, like, you know, not maintaining the status quo, but not, but also not like trying to overthrow the goddamn Roman empire. Right. right. Um, yeah. To me, he's speaking more, on in spiritual lines as opposed to like worldly um which goes back to our conversation before for sure peter's understanding of like wait i thought we were gonna like i thought we were gonna run this shit and jesus is like no 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 i thought you were luke and i was han what What happened i thought we were going after the death star (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, yeah so like i think that 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 verse about you know here is your mother um, you know, I mean, this is like one of the frustrating things about ancient writing, right? It's like, why, who is the disciple? Like, who is this? You know, like who, right. why not name the person, you know, like right, why yeah. I want more. So doesn't he say it's like his favorite? Yeah. Like disciple I, later too. Yeah. Yeah. The disciple. So the disciple whom he loved is, is probably Peter. Um, I'm pretty sure that's who that it's is. It's not Judas. Nah, nah, bro. <laughs> Yo, know, I I Judas read is, I read or I read or saw something. Uh, I don't know 
that in in some of my research recently, uh, a theory that said that the reason that Judas is the one that betrayed Jesus is because Judas is the one that Jesus trusted the most to carry forth this like this plan essentially, and that none of the other disciples would have been strong enough to do this thing that was a hundred percent necessary. Um, and so huh. he trusted Jews, Judas to like be the one to do it. And that's why Judas ends up like killing himself is because he was carrying this horrible burden of having to do this thing that like his, his teacher, master, prophet, whatever told him that he had to do. And then it led to all of this nonsense that we're talking about right now. And Judas was like, yeah, just like it was too heavy for him. Well, he knew Peter wasn't going to do it. Well, but <laughs> except that Jesus doesn't tell Judas to do it. Right. No, of course this is a this is a but, bullshit theory that someone is like, you know, I mean, off in is, never never land. I mean the like, the thing about I mean we didn't we didn't really uh I mean Judas doesn't really factor in too much to this version of the story. But I mean it is an interesting question, like philosophically, like how fucked up is it to be Judas? Right? Right. To like yeah. <laughs> have to do this thing that is like the ultimate betrayal. And like in, I mean, in, uh, I don't know if you guys ever read like Dante's Inferno when you were in high school or whatever, but like mm -hmm. in the last level of hell where Satan is, uh, you know, Satan has three faces and he's eternally chomping on the bodies of three betrayers. One is Judas, one is uh, Brutus, I think from like uh, Julius Caesar, right? Yeah. At Tubrute. Yeah. I can't remember from who the Popeye. third one is. Yeah, from Popeye. Exactly. <laughs> uh, God, God. Um, Anyway, but like, but like, to, like, he basically the Bible is telling you, the gospel is telling you, like, Judas had to do this. Like, he, he made the choice, but at the same time, he somehow, like, didn't have a choice. I don't know. It's just, it's really, I feel bad for Judas. It's fucked up. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, yeah. I just had a, I had a really interesting uh just like personal connection to verse 26 um just cuz yeah. I had a I had a friend pass away like a year and a half ago mm. and I had met his mom like a couple times before it happened and and just to, like the connection I built with this dude it was just like this this unspoken thing that is like important for me that I like check in with her every once in a while now and just like it's a it's a really interesting dynamic that's been created out of that so i was just like curious what the historical shit actually was because i knew that right. like my <laughs> my personal thing was like definitely like the thing that was like resonating the yeah. most from that well and so. i mean like if you you know go forward into the the book of acts um you know the the like earliest church like held everything in common right they they had a, a commune basically and so this idea that like this person who is my mother is now your mother. Like that yeah. is, that actually, it's not just a spiritual thing. It actually is carried forward into the actual practice of the church. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Cool. So I don't know where you guys were at uh, scripturally, but I'm sort of just looking at this section, the death of Jesus. Yeah, that's where we are. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. where we're at. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, How's a nice glass of wine vinegar sound to everybody? Yeah, right. <laughs> I know that's pretty gnarly that Jesus is like, I'm thirsty, and they're like, Cool, here's some wine vinegar. Oh god. Like, Dude. Yeah. Might as well just be vinegar. Like the wine part doesn't 
doesn't really mitigate the fat the vinegar piece of it well and you know? i mean like if you're thirsty like i mean the last thing i want is a glass of wine if i'm thirsty right you know like well speak for yourself bro it's probably also like not <laughs> it's probably not the you know some bougie ass bottle of wine that you're drinking dude <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, you know. I mean, this I would accept. Like, I would accept the swill. I but feel like you're right. This the water like, would be best. Yeah, I mean, for this is like some warm kombucha that's been sitting out for three weeks. <laughs> that's you know? exactly. What and they're like, was. here, here, you can have soaked this, in a dude. dirty rag. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, like, it just is sort of a gnarly port part of the story. And and I was trying to figure out if there's any sort of like symbolism or anything here. And I, I came up short, but I'm sure there is. I mean, dude, like you can honestly find YouTube videos that explain the symbolism of probably every verse in the Bible. Right. In terms of like, uh, you know, the absolute dominance of the United States and, (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. You you can find them, but they're not they're not interesting or compelling. They're usually forcing some kind of weird bullshit narrative. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's like watching an episode recap of like Westworld where they fucking inject all their stupid opinions into what's actually happening. Oh my god, I can't. No. (laughs) Yeah, quick aside, those those Westworld recaps for this new season have been absolute trash. Yeah, yeah total, just like, total trash. It's not a recap. I don't know what the fuck. No, that is, it's but... just like it's just like a bunch of this dude's ideas about what's happening, and basically him trying to yeah. let you know that he's smarter than you because he's reading into this bullshit that's not actually happening. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like religion to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I fucking took us off track. <laughs> but yeah, okay. so basically, I mean, yeah, Jesus drinks the wine vinegar because he's thirsty he he gives up and says like you know um, it is finished um and which seems pretty like i guess like in terms of like fulfilling a prophecy which is a lot of the gospels right it's it's like these certain things needed to happen in a certain way because it was said that they would right Um, and so now he's like calling it out of like it's done we did it yeah Mm -hmm. Um, rest my head time yeah that's a wrap everybody yeah, and in this sort I of this whole next section is sort of that as well in terms of like they break the thieves' legs, but they don't break Jesus's legs. They stab him in the side instead. Um, That's where I thought it was going to be a dope King James moment, but it's very disappointing. Yeah, yeah. So Joel, <laughs> we have this we have this segment usually where that that we call "What the fuck, King James," um, <laughs> where we'll we'll pick a, a verse or two and we'll pick we'll read the King James version of it, and it's usually like super metal and gnarly yeah and yeah it's just like a moment of being like dude what the fuck (laughs) like um but yeah i couldn't find anything here either um though this is i mean this story is certainly has its metal moments as well getting stabbed in the side to prove that you're dead on the cross um is is pretty gnarly yeah Um, super gnarly and uh, again like that sort of like fulfills this prophecy of of you know he they will look on the on the one they have pierced um and then it just kind of goes into more storytelling in terms of like the burial of jesus um and jesus getting put in the tomb and then into the last chapter like we get into this resurrection where um you know mary magdalene is like trying to figure out uh trying to go visit jesus in the tomb he's not there she's beside herself and trying to figure like thinking that someone probably moved her body or stole it moved his body or stole it or whatever um yeah and then and then jesus appears in in the garden um 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean that, you know, one of the like kind of common and I don't really know how much historical evidence there is for this, but like one of the sort of <laughs> like apologetic arguments that is often made for the veracity of the story is that like the word of women was not believed, right? In the ancient world, like women sure. couldn't testify in court. Um, that is true. Women couldn't could not testify in court. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I I hear that. Like I think about that now, and I'm like, I I don't know enough. Like <laughs> I feel. I mean, from an academic perspective, I'm just like I don't know enough biblical scholarship to like know if that's right. true or not. You know, but that's that's one thing that a lot of people will point to. Like, oh, it was the women who. Um, received this me the message first, and then had to go tell the men, and the men had to believe them, and if they hadn't, then all of this would have been fucking done. Like, wow, yeah, interesting. Um, but I don't done in the sense that Jesus would have been like, "Fuck you guys for not believing Mary Magdalene. I ain't showing myself at all to you now." <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, no, that's a really good point. I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Or Jesus would have been like waiting around, like um, yeah, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that a little time bit. Would that's have a come and go. That's a <laughs> bit trite, but like, um, yeah. So, but this verse seventeen, where like Jesus comes to Mary, and Mary is like, "Oh my gosh," you know, teacher, like mm -hmm. crying out to him, and Jesus says, "Do not hold on to me." For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Um, to me, like, that verse was one of the more mystical verses in these three chapters. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, there's just, like, there's, there's so many ways to sort of, like, interpret that. And I just think that last portion in particular saying i am ascending to my father and your father to my god and your god um yeah is yeah i mean it does it does sort of like support this kind of like mystical narrative of um jesus is not yeah jesus is not jesus like jesus is the christ and the christ right, represents exactly. this other thing um the christ represents a path to the father to your god to the god of everything to you know pure being and awareness and existence and whatever you want to call it um and sort of calling out like in a way he's sort of calling out the like don't hold on to me jesus the person like yes the ascension exactly. is the important piece mm -hmm. um and like what i take away from this verse is like not the ascension of jesus is the important piece the ascension that you can have within yourself is mm. the important piece, which sort of ties to, like, this whole story of resurrection being right. sort of, like, the hero's journey. Like, you know, we also have a segment called Joey Cam's Understands, um, <laughs> which I should have, I really should have looked up uh, a Joey, Joseph Campbell quote for this. I could probably Google one real quick. That's that's pretty on point. But, um, yeah, like, I I just finished reading Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um and I think there are so many things that Joseph Campbell calls out where, like, that sort of grabbed me in terms of, like, yeah, I think, you know, this, just on paper, this story of Jesus um, 
dying and resurrecting is very you know obviously there is all this other historical context and all these other things but just in in broad strokes um it's very similar to like the rising of the phoenix and all of these other like heroes journeys Mm -hmm. and sort of like your own personal call to yourself your own calling from god or whatever to die to yourself and rise to something new yeah and this verse in particular seems to be kind of jesus saying that to mary of like this is and and not in a super direct way it's still very cryptic and could be interpreted lots of different ways but sort of a sort of a nod to that idea right yeah dude ever changing it's unknown a new fire each day it's that thrice shit <laughs> <laughs> it's that phoenix ignition <laughs> yeah. exactly Put it on the bible buds playlist but exactly uh no but i think that i mean yeah i think that you're for sure picking up on like the more mystical tone, right? As I said at the beginning of, like, when we first jumped into, uh, into the gospel, um, you know, John does have this like more cryptic, mystical, spiritual. But yeah, no, I think that that's um, that's an interesting way to read it. Um, it's also like uh, I think worth pointing out, like um, that that's. A pretty also a pretty protestant way of understanding it as well like this this the idea that like yeah it's uh i'm ascending to my father and to your father to my god and to your god to read that is also as saying like um i'm ascending to my father and you can also ascend like internally to your father right. you it's have also the power. your father right right so I mean the idea. I mean it's not a criticism. I'm just sure. You know, I'm just yeah, pointing right. out that like that's a you know not you know one one thing that like I mean Dan might being an actual Catholic or former Catholic <laughs> might disagree with me, but from that's my perspective, it seems like <laughs> it seems like <laughs> a uh, a more traditional Catholic might not have that same reaction to this verse because it just wouldn't be part of their like thinking that like oh yes i can apart from like the apparatus of the church like ascend to the father or something like that that's not i mean that's maybe like overstating it too much because there were a lot of catholic mystics too yeah um yeah i don't know there just seems to be like a mix of everyone in every group for sure for sure yeah it's just like i don't know yeah definitely seems to be some mystical folks all over the place for sure absolutely so yeah uh, we're we're coming up on sort of the uh the tail end of of the book of john here just these last two sections last like 10 verses essentially um 10 or 12 um where jesus you know appears to his disciples and then it kind of ends with jesus appearing to thomas uh which is interesting but yeah jesus coming to the disciples um which I never, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, this point that you brought up of, like, um, that of Jesus coming to, to Mary first, of coming to the women first, mm-hmm. and the women needing to be, you know, Mary needing to be the one that, like, relays the message mm-hmm. to the disciples that, like, Jesus is, is right. alive and kicking. Yeah. I mean, it's not just about the disciples believing her, but it's about later on, when the gospel message, the stories being circulated, I mean, it's the same in every gospel. It's the women who discover right. that Jesus, you know, whom Jesus appears to first. 
So you're um, sort of saying like in the historical context with within the sort of like just I guess like underlying threat of misogyny, the fact that like it was it the came highly, to women I first. Mean, yeah. Yeah. Ancient societies were mostly highly patriarchal. Right. Um, I mean, it, in the ancient Near East, anyway. Like, um, sure. And so, yeah, it's. I think that there is some truth to the idea that um, even you know, it's not just the disciples believing them, but like once the story starts being circulated, like people, you know, didn't read it and say, "Oh, this came from women." Well, fuck this, and like throw it away. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, right. Um, which is something that I think. It, it's plausible that that could have happened, but sure, it, but, it, but it didn't. From a historical context, it's just like it. It, it is calling for, um, for you to suspend some of your own cultural bullshit in terms of yeah. like believing the story. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um. Okay. And I, yeah, I, I think that the um, I'm always drawn to the uh to this little part about Thomas um, at the Wait, end. Before we get to oh, Thomas, yeah. though, sure. um, because that is that is definitely my my favorite part. Um, <laughs> there's just like a couple things that I just needed to call out, yeah. um, which is uh, just this verse where it says, Jesus came and stood among them. Like, I'm noticing that during all of this, like lockdown, shelter in place, pandemic nonsense, like, anything any media whether it's words or video or whatever um now seems very foreign and even reading that jesus came and stood among them i was like jesus don't do that you might have six feet bro <laughs> you might have yeah, six feet <laughs> exactly. you're too close and then same thing close. where's your mask same thing when it says uh in verse 22 and with that, he breathed on them. And I was like, oh, why would <laughs> no, you Jesus, do that? Yeah, do dude. That. It's the most fucked up thing you could do. <laughs> it's just a funny, like, again, in the, in the context of your culture. Yeah, just read that. I, like, had a visceral, like, no, Jesus, no. <laughs> um, that is also, though, where he drops the, the forgiveness knowledge on him. If you yeah. forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Which is, uh, yeah, I feel like that's a pretty, pretty heavy section for there, that one. You know? Yeah, I was, I had a hard time kind of digging out an esoteric understanding of that in terms of receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Um, I mean, what's interesting about that command is that that actually has had. I don't know if it's like this verse or this like kind of two verses specifically. Uh, that have influenced this, but like um, a lot of like the rules of like the early Catholic Church, like with the bishops and stuff, um, and like the way that the churches were set up, and like who could be baptized, who could forgive sins. I mean, it was all dependent upon who received the Holy Spirit and how um, how that Spirit was received. And, like there were like wars fought over this like no wow. joke yeah yeah um, i don't know it's so it's, it's great yeah i mean it's just kind of crazy to think about like how one little set of verses like here right could spawn like this whole 
way of thinking about like yeah, winter different yeah exactly yeah mm. i don't know i just went super internal with it and like i've talked to andrew a bit about this about the you know the just the concept of compassion is only complete when you show it for yourself mm. and i felt like this was just like yeah you have to be able to forgive yourself like that's the yeah the big thing like if you don't forgive yourself if if you can't like make amends yeah, with what you've done like you're never gonna yeah like yeah. be forgiven you know so sure um, yeah i like that yeah i dig it so yeah this last section or second to last section i guess uh jesus appears to thomas this always just makes me think of that that brand new song yeah which definitely of course fucked me up when i was in high school yeah uh, where yeah basically um Jesse says something along the lines of like, you know, when I when I die and go to heaven, when I arrive, will Thomas Is this on Jesus Christ? Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. When right. I when I arrive to heaven, will Thomas ask to see my hands? Yeah. Um huh. which was yeah, a super interesting commentary about like sort of I guess the inherent doubt within the seed of Christianity or mm-hmm. uh or just the pervasiveness of that within Christianity. I don't know, there's a lot of ways you could read that. It's a really uh it's a powerful lyric. Um you know, right. it's all it's Vonnegut esque in the way that like uh-huh. it packs a serious punch for such a small number of words. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And then yeah. yeah, it all comes from this. Is this the only uh, gospel that has this? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because you know I think the traditional way of referring to this is as doubting Thomas, right? The story of doubting Thomas. sure and just to just to go back a little bit for for those listening the story is essentially that like thomas was like i won't believe that jesus has risen from the dead until i put my fingers through the holes in his hands and the hole in his side exactly and then jesus appears to thomas and says here are my hands like put your finger in this hole yeah do it check it out (laughs) yeah so that's the that's the general story but right and then and then jesus says because you have seen me you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I think that the kind of the standard reading of this is that like, oh, Thomas is a bad guy because he doubted, right? Right. He had to see in order to have faith. Right. But, um, well, no, not, yeah. I mean, it's not even necessarily the, the seeing part. It's, it's more the it's more just like the doubt like he just didn't well no i mean i guess it is the seeing part but well, it's, it's yeah, just interesting because hand. like a lot of conservatives also like feel this deep desire to like prove certain things in the bible to be true mm-hmm. like to prove that like noah's ark was real right or to prove that like evolution is false and like the earth is only 6000 years old or some crazy shit like that right um, which seems to to me to be exactly like what Thomas is requiring, like in order to believe, right? And you encounter like a lot. I mean, I encounter these people at Fuller, who like if a professor was like, "Yeah, evolution is real." Like, what what are you talking about? Like, of course, like <laughs> what? No, the Book of Genesis is like not a history book. It's not a science book. And like some people were like really fucking shaken by that. Because they're like, well, shit, if that's not, like, if I can't, like, prove that this is true, 
like in my conception of of what truth means sure this goes all the way back to the very beginning of our conversation where you know i was you were asking me about about like relativism yeah. yeah exactly like um yeah so this idea that like you have to be able to prove it right empirically somehow uh in order for it to be true and jesus so the way i read this is jesus is basically saying no that's not that actually isn't how truth works here like you so it's not just about like a matter of faith but it's also things can be true even if you don't have some kind of like they're not based in like empirical evidence or something like that sure Right, true, and like maybe a, a more spiritual, mystical sure. way, or something. Yeah, that, like that that deeper truth, which is what I've talked a lot about uh, on this podcast in terms of like uh, trying to read the Bible and understand that like the factual truth doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, it yeah. it does in terms of historical context and things like that, but like in terms of like storytelling, the mm-hmm. way that mythology works is like the f- the whether or not that is actually factually true or possible or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. it's communicating something completely different. Right. And it's communicating this deeper truth, uh, this human truth, uh, you know, a truth of, like, f- the fundamental truth of existence or whatever um, that right. can only be communicated through means that are, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess literary in this sense. So one thing that I – so when I, when I teach Introduction to the Study of Religion – um, at my school, uh, I like to focus on this, like, a false, what I teach is a false dichotomy between, like, fake religions and authentic religions, right? I try to, like, break that down. And so, you know, I'll use the example of, like, you know, I mean, so we talk about, like, science fiction and, and Star Wars and, like, the religion of Jediism, which is a real sure. religion. Um, but I also, like, use the example of, like, Lord of the Rings, right? Nobody would say, like, oh, fuck, you know, what's the point of reading Lord of the Rings? Like, it's not, it didn't really happen, right? Right. It's like, right. well, that, that's not the fucking point. And inevitably, a student will say, yeah, but nobody's founded a religion on Lord of the Rings. And I will say to them, so why don't you do that then? Like, yeah. why don't you also, do, why don't you, you found a religion say to on them, you're fucking wrong. Some yeah, dude, dude in Oklahoma for people. did found a religion off of Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and he has two websites. Like, really? Oh, <laughs> no, shit. I'm just saying, like, probably. Oh, yeah, probably. Maybe not okay. Oklahoma, but I, in this world, oh, yeah, somebody, for sure. There's, for sure. there's religions for everything, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, but, and, but like. And if you geek out on something hard enough, it can become a religion in its own way, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jediism is a great example in terms of, like, that's a real thing. I mean, there are definitely Mm -hmm. people who are, like, you know, not that they think of, like, the force as this, as a, they they can move things in reality, but, like, yeah, yeah, there's a spiritual (laughs) element to it that they they believe in. Yeah. 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 When Yoda Yoda drops the patience knowledge in the Empire Strikes Back, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So this whole gospel wraps up with just this uh, last two verses. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Uh, But these are written that you... (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I love that too. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name. Um, 
which I thought was sort of an interesting way to wrap up this gospel, especially compared to Matthew, which ends with the sort of um, what's the what's the term for that? The great like, Commission. Final? The Great what Commission. What was it? Yeah, the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I thought this was like such a stark contrast to that in terms of right. uh, sort of ending with this sort of like weird shoulder shrug of like, well, and he did some other stuff and like, here's why. And <laughs> that's the end of the story. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I just think that the like, I don't know, for me, uh, and I know I already talked about this a little bit, but um, yeah, the, the story of the resurrection, you know, I have a lot of, I guess, my own sort of baggage that I've had to deal with around Christianity and, and my own kind of what was drilled into me as a, as a kid and an impressionable, you know, teenager and young adult and whatever, um, and trying to reconcile that with my kind of current spiritual practice sure. and understanding of, of God and things like that. Um, but the resurrection story to me still is kind of just like, it feels very timeless. And it's interesting that, um, you know, obviously my interpretation of it is uh, probably not going to spawn a religion um, because it's about more of your own inward journey. And so there's not really much there to glom onto to, to create a religious movement. But it's interesting that like, this story of the resurrection basically is what kind of like solidified Christianity as a movement. And there are right. Christians across the world that say like, if you don't believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus, then like you can't be a Christian. You can't mm -hmm. be, this is what it's all about. I remember right. a sermon in high school uh, where the pastor was saying basically like, yeah, if Jesus didn't literally come back from the dead, then he's not, the son of God. This is what the entire story is hinged on is this right. fact that he did rise from the dead. Right. Um, I think that that's also made more complicated by the fact that Paul also says that in one of his sure. letters, like if this didn't happen, then everything we're doing is, has been a total waste. Is, sure. And so like if, if that actually didn't exist in, in the new Testament, um, I think you would find a lot more Christians who don't believe in a literal resurrection. Sure. And, and to be fair, there actually are quite a number, there are a number of, of people who would label themselves as Christian, but don't believe in a literal resurrection. Hmm. So um, it's not common. I wouldn't call it common. Sure. Um, but yeah. Which is interesting that so many things... I guess in my experience with Christianity kind of hinge on, and that's sort of what the celebration of Easter is about is, mm -hmm. is not um, any sort of mystical esoteric interpretation of the story, but just the literal celebration of the fact that Jesus was the actual son of God, a person that lived that literally died and rose again from death, which no one that we know of has ever done mm -hmm. except for Lazarus. Uh, and yeah. also that other dude that Jesus raised from the dead in Matthew. Uh, there's like... also a guy in the Old <laughs> Testament who is being buried, and some some like thieves come along, and the guys burying them are like, "Oh shit!" And they toss him into a cave, and in the cave is the bones of Elisha, the prophet yeah. Elisha. And <laughs> oh, when, his, Elisha. when his dead body hits the bones, he like pops up and is like, "What? What's happening?" 
Yeah, it's interesting to me that there is this claim, and again, that goes to sort of your earlier point in terms of like the Old Testament superseding everything from, or the New Testament superseding everything from the Old Testament. But like, yeah, this weird claim of like, well, Jesus was the only man to ever, like, that's a thing that I heard growing up in the church. And it's like, yeah, except for Lazarus and like the other dude in Matthew and like other people literally did raise from, and yeah, through the hand of Jesus. But uh, I don't know. I just think that that's, it's an interesting thing that um, from a religious perspective that people have sort of glommed onto that is this uh, uh, main focal point of the celebration of Easter is like celebrating that Jesus has risen from the, I mean, you walk into a church and it's literally, he has risen he has risen indeed. Like everyone is greeting yeah. with this like sort of ancient weird thing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But for me, yeah, like this whole story is um, it goes back to so much of what Jesus is teaching in Matthew. I mean, Matthew is um, Matthew is pretty shit from a storytelling perspective compared to John. Like John <laughs> is like an actual like good story to read. So to good. Dude. Yeah. Matthew sucks. Matthew hops (laughs) all over the place. But the parables in Matthew, and so much of Matthew is actually Jesus teaching, right? Right, In parables. And some of these parables are trippy as fuck. Um, And really powerful teachings for something that's so old. And he is, he talks so much about the importance of dying to yourself. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, becoming like a child and like becoming like something new. And it's like, yeah, and then he went and did it. Like, to me, it's like the whole story is like he's teaching in these parables. He's dropping these really crazy truth bombs. And then he sort of goes and, and does it. And from like, a, I guess, a myth- more mythological perspective, it's like, yeah, it's because he, you know, it was sort of the, it had to be the final chapter of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, if this was a movie, it's like and then mm-hmm. the prophet goes and does that himself. So to say, right. you know, like this is. This is the blueprint for you to go have your own resurrection story, mm-hmm. um, not in a literal sense, right. but in a spiritual sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, the way that I tend to read the resurrection story is, um, I mean, I think the thing, one of the big things for me that I take away from from all aspects of Christianity, I guess in general, you know, I was talking about earlier, like, um, you know, the story of Christianity has to, like, mean something, right, for your life. It has to change sure. your, like, engagement with the world in some way. And so I do think that there is um, there is something to be said about the status of hope, right, in, uh, in the Gospels, right? And the, like, the fact that Jesus was, you know, Jesus on the cross is the broken body of a polit- marginalized political dissident, right? Who's brutalized by this unrelenting empire. Um, and I think that that says something to the, the state in which we live today, right? Um, and especially as a white person, Right. Um, I have come to understand myself as part of the empire. Right. right. That I had been part of the empire and we're um, the baddies, y'all. Right. And had and had failed to recognize that. And right. And so now that I recognize that, um, you know, I want to 
do everything I can to bring the empire down. Um, and I, uh, I see the resurrection as, um, as sort of like the ultimate hope that that can happen someday. Right. That the, that the, so on a more massive scale, like that the entire system would die and resurrect into something new. Right. Exactly. Right. That the, that the, the death that, that the empire causes does not have to be the final word. Right. Um, even though weeks like this week, it really fucking feels like it's the final word, you know? Um, yeah, it, it, it can be really, really heavy. And so for me, that's what, you know, um, yeah, that, I think that that's what I get out of the, out of the Easter story more than anything. But also how gnarly if you take it the other way when you recognize that you're part of the empire and that's where you get like all this extremism like white nationalist shit oh my god the extreme side of that is just fucking bonkers yeah yeah man yeah Um, fuck all that yeah it's so it's It's so wild though that like i know know, i know people take that shit that way right yeah absolutely absolutely and and a lot yeah heavily tie it to a religion in, right. in a lot of ways yeah i mean i think it sort of speaks to the fact that like you know one there's so many different ways that you could interpret this but also like people kind of see what they want to see out, like mm-hmm. they glean what they want to glean out of something Absolutely. and anything yeah. anything can be purposed towards mm-hmm. um yeah not saying that like a white nationalist has like an innate uh genetic desire to do that though could potentially be true as well Mm -hmm. um but if they are are already sort of on that tip and predisposed towards that then like yeah countering a text like this they're obviously gonna codify any any segment of it to like support their own bullshit the way that i'm codifying it to support my own like mystical shit yeah yeah literally the exact same thing just right right i'm not an asshole at least not on that level (laughs) <laughs> no, people just think that we're mystical assholes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit of a we're dick, just... but I'm just not like I'm not like that though. Right. <laughs> um, um, word. This has been really cool, man. Yeah, this is like fun. this has definitely been the most I think interesting and informed episode of this podcast <laughs> thus far. So like it's it's to been it very lightly. cool to like yeah. get to uh get to chat with you about it. And, and I don't know how like how much you and Andrew talk about this. It's shit been a minute. Regularly, it's been a minute. So no. I mean we yeah. you know we lived we lived in Colorado at the same time uh for a couple years and played disc golf a lot. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know I don't, how much we talked about this. Stuff, yeah. Though. Yeah. I was sort of in a different place. Right. Personally. Exactly. I, but I do remember, um, just to end with a little bit of a story that's very, uh, fond to me that Joel, you probably don't even, I don't know if you remember this. Um, but you were the first person in, in our immediate family that I told, like, you know, I don't consider myself a Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of afraid to tell mom and dad. I'm really worried about what they're going to think about it. Um, and I was right to be worried about it because uh, <laughs> it was a difficult thing for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you've had conversations with them about that. Right. But I just remember you sort of cracking some shit open for me in terms of being like, listen, like, I'm not uh, like 
yeah, sort of describing your position on Christianity and, and, and blowing the roof off of like my conception of what a Christian could be and being like, I don't necessarily believe in these things. I don't really believe in like a hell. I don't necessarily right, no. believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I just remember you saying like none of that. And this is sort of planted like a seed, I think, for my own spiritual journey in terms of you just saying like um, none of that really matters to me. Uh, I just feel comfortable exploring spirituality and morality and ethics and all of these things through the lens of Christianity because it was the toolkit that was given to me mm-hmm. and what I was brought up in, which yeah. is kind of the reason that I've come back to the Bible and mm-hmm. come back to some of these things is because, yeah, I was raised with Jesus's teachings. And so like, yeah, I can go towards Eastern stuff and like try to read it and understand it. But like, it's not really a part of my cultural upbringing at all. So it's, mm-hmm. it's so foreign to me and there's, there's truth to be gleaned from it. But um, in terms of like, really diving deep on something my best bet is gonna be like things that jesus said things that are taught in the bible because that's what i was raised on um, sure and yeah i just i remember that that conversation very fondly in your apartment in chicago mm-hmm. um and just sort of your reassurance of like um yeah i and i the reason that i came to you is because i knew that you weren't going to be like dude what the fuck like you have to be a christian <laughs> Like you were obviously, I knew you would be very understanding and that you being, you know, an academic would hear me out in terms of like my, like how I had come to this realization, which was very much from, and I tried to describe this to mom and dad in terms of like, it's not something that I actively sought out. It's not, Mm -hmm. I didn't decide, like, I want to be an atheist. I was actually like on the deepest dive in terms of like my search for God that I'd ever been when I decided mm-hmm. I wasn't a Christian, it right. was part of that process. Um, and I, yeah, it's hard for, I think it's hard for them to understand that, but it was very reassuring to me that I feel like you very much did understand that and kind of had some things to say about it. So yeah, appreciate you for that. Yeah, man. Yeah. No problem. I'm glad, I'm glad that, uh, that, that went over the way that, the way that it did. <laughs> and then you weren't like, damn it. No, you do you remember yeah. that conversation? I though? do, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah man, we were sitting at my little dining room table surrounded by my fucking thousands of books. <laughs> yeah, Dan, this was... dude has literally like an, a full library. Like yeah. a full oh, library amazing. in his house. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> cool. uh, that's killer. Uh yeah, man, thank you so much for just uh, being willing to talk about your yeah, experience absolutely. and just like, and to just like drop a bunch of knowledge is super rad. And uh, <laughs> definitely uh, you have informed the way I will look at the Bible and, and some of the historical context for sure. Cool, so that's cool. rad moving forward. And you should definitely, uh, you should come do this with us again. Absolutely. Yeah, if you uh, had a good time. You I did. Yeah. Like, I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah, we could use we'll, we could use some of this context to uh, we'll, like we'll pull to... you in when we start getting lost. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, sounds good. Cool. All um, right. you should do a bless up with your brother to to send us off with yeah. the smoke smoke pray love everybody. Uh, I'll put all the links in the episode <laughs> notes. Yeah, so then... that they can follow. Uh, you know whatever is going on with with joel here super fucking rad to have you and uh i'll put the uh you know 
people should send us some emails and whatnot so we can yeah get absolutely. some community here for yeah, sure for sure i think for this one uh i think joel you can just send us off with a with your own bless up and i think that's going to be more than sufficient <laughs> what, what, what do i do for a bless well, up what? so dan is gonna say his tagline and as soon as you say as soon as he says that you just say bless up okay uh smoke pray love bless up hey that's it everybody hey. <laughs>